Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. It is the end of anniversary month, slash Jim Carrey month, slash our favorite month of the year. Um, And we've had two of them so far, but uh, come December, it'll probably still be our favorite month of the year because we're wrapping up Jim Carrey anniversary movies. We're done with 1994. Never going to go back to 1994 again. I don't know, maybe we could find a way to recap some talk show appearance he did on Jay Leno or David Letterman. (laughs) Uh, But otherwise, we got to flash forward. And not do Dumb and Dumber 2, uh, but do Man on the Moon, a far superior movie uh, that was from Academy Award winner Milos Forman, director of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus. And he said, I want to make a Jim Carrey movie about the most bizarre stand-up comedian of all time because those two things just go (laughs) hand in hand, (laughs) obviously. And based on, let's say not based on the life of Andy Kaufman, based on the great 1992 song from R.E.M., Man on the Moon. Uh, my name is Colin, and thanks for coming to the podcast. I wish it was better, you know. It's so stupid. It's terrible. I don't even like it. And I don't care. I'm going with it because I've, I've prepared a bit. <laughs> all right? I did a thing last night, and I, I organized this, so I'm going ahead with this, and I don't care what you say. So sit back and buckle up, Hilding. <clears throat> Hello. I am Ben. And I would like to thank you for coming to my podcast. I wish it was better, you know, but it is so stupid. It's terrible. I do not even like it. All of the most important things in my life are changed around and mixed up for dramatic purposes. So I decided to cut out all of the Bologna. Now the podcast is much shorter. In fact, this is the end of the podcast. Thank you very much. You're still here? Okay. I hope you're not upset. I did that to get rid of those folks who wouldn't understand me and not even want to try. Actually, the podcast is really great. It is filled with colorful characters like the one I just did and the one I'm doing now. Our story begins with Colin introducing the rest of it. Oh, we're beginning Yay. now. There we go. <laughs> we didn't do the, 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 it runs out, record scratch. No. Take it again. <laughs> you know, some of us got to edit out the Bologna, Colin, you know? <laughs> um, you had never seen this movie before. Uh, I said I've seen this movie countless times. 
Uh, yet, I think the last time I watched this movie was in 2017 when the Jim and Andy documentary came out. Uh, I Every single time I go back to this movie, I just, I love it more and more. Uh, I also see that it's maybe not necessarily any greater than all the other biopics that I tend to hate. Uh, but you really do hate biopics, don't you? <laughs> I, I, I honestly do. But I think there's a difference with this movie. See, one of my biggest problems with biopics is that they're always the same, even though it's based on real stories, real people and stuff like that. It's just, who's your celebrity doing an impression of another celebrity in this movie? And I think the difference is, even though this isn't like a story, if you're following a story that is so interesting that demands having a movie, everything Andy Kaufman did was so weird and so bizarre that it sets this movie apart without it being any different than any other biopic. And I, I knew nothing about Andy Kaufman before this movie came out. What I knew was a lot of the behind the scenes stuff of the making of this movie where people were like, this is kind of something Andy Kaufman would do. Is this real? Is this fake or whatever? Um, but uh, I mean, since seeing this movie, I've watched a lot of Andy Kaufman stuff. And like, I, I think that's one of the things that gives me even more of an appreciation for this because this doesn't feel like the biopic of Andy Kaufman's life. This feels like if Andy Kaufman decided to make a movie about his life, this is what it would be. It's kind of almost like um, the Weird Al biopic, right? Where it's like... Which I still have to see. You still, oh, I mean, you would like that. That is, I mean, again, you're watching a movie where they're basically making Madonna out to be this megalomaniac Bond villain. I mean, I don't know how you haven't watched that film. Um, but, I mean, that's just, if you expect there to be a Weird Al biopic, you get what you get with the Weird Al biopic. Like, it's fantastic. Um, and, yeah, I we nearly did this, I think it was around when Elvis was meant to come out at uh, the end yeah. of the, what, 20... What would that mean? 2019, 2020? Release, like 20, yeah, before yeah. COVID. Yeah, so we were going to do a biopic month a few years ago, and this, I believe, was on the list. Um, so we've been talking about this. And, yeah, I, I don't know why. I've, I've never seen it. I, I discussed that last week, and it's just sort of one of these ones I didn't see. But, yeah, I, I really, even coming into watching this, didn't know much about Andy Kaufman outside of the clips and things that have been shared over the years. But I think it was... It was entertaining to kind of watch this. And it, it wasn't, um, I don't know how I'd say it wasn't what I expected. Like, I mean, I enjoyed this film. I don't know if I was thinking this would be a lot more uh, arty or a lot more sort of something different. But, I mean, it was a very paint-by-numbers to me uh, biopic in a way. But then also I can see what, exactly what you're saying. Like, from what I can tell of Andy Kaufman and then having, I watched Jim and Andy directly afterwards, like, you can see that, yeah, this is basically what he would have probably had, Andy Kaufman. He seems like a very unique, funny person. And I think Jim Carrey was born to play this role. And again, mm. I've seen this movie once, but let's just say it right now, robbed of an Oscar nomination. But hey, <laughs> yeah. this is a guy who apparently just can never get nominated for an Oscar because of his reputation or something like that. I don't know. But this is two years in a row that he was absolutely blatantly robbed of an Oscar nomination. But um, yeah, I, and I got to say... R.E.M., great. Uh, the, I always thought the Man in the Moon song was from this movie. Didn't realize the movie was technically based on the song in a way. Mm -hmm. And I also learned something with R.E.M. because I listened to a bit of R.E.M. last night. I just want to say this now before oh, I forget. Me too. Um, I always thought the song was called Answers from the Grave. I didn't realize it was <laughs> The Great Beyond. Great Beyond. So when they say in the song, I thought they were going, Answers from the Grave, but they're saying The Great Beyond. So mm -hmm. I went into my iTunes and changed the name of the song. <laughs> I, I think for about 20 years I've had a called Answers on the Grave and I've always thought that that's what he was saying in that song. I'm like, oh, it's the great beyond. Oh, I learned something from Andy Kaufman and R.E.M. last night. 
how do how do you legally obtain REM's The Great Beyond and not have the title right? I, I mean, don't who's know. behind this at whatever uh, Warner Brothers Music or whatever it was that uh, they were assigned to? Um, yeah, the, like the this this movie had so much. I wouldn't say history as far as development. I don't know how long it was in development beforehand, but uh, all the 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 controversy around uh, the filming of this movie. I, I think kind of overshadowed the movie itself. And I, 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 it's not that I don't believe that Jim Carrey not getting nominated for an Oscar didn't have something to do with the fact we don't want to nominate the guy from Ace Ventura. Uh, Cause I know that there was even what, a couple of years ago, there was um, a talk from somebody unnamed sources from inside the Academy that said, you're never going to see, you know, a superhero movie get nominated for mm. best picture because it's, it's sort of a rejection of everything superhero movies have. And then of course they nominated black Panther, but there's obviously some bias inside academies and stuff like that. So that's probably part of it. But uh, I, I, I believe that with this movie, and it's even when you look at like the box office movie and a lot of the, the critics reviews when it came out, it almost seems to reflect what happens to Andy Kaufman in this movie. You know, he has a style of comedy and this movie had a style of promoting it. And Jim Carrey had a style of kind of disappearing into this character that was meant to stir up controversy was meant to get people talking, but kind of polarize people and turn them against it. And I don't know if that's sort of the reason why this movie became like Jim Carrey's first real bomb uh, and why it was completely ignored. Because even if you're not going to nominate Jim Carrey, I mean, The Truman Show got nominations. Mm. This movie was certainly deserving of more than God. I don't even think The Great Beyond got nominated for original song at the Oscars. And I don't think it got any even, Oscar well, nominations I'm, did at this movie, did yeah. it? I don't think it got a single one. No. And um, I don't even know what the competition was. 1999 was a very competitive year for acting. Personally, I think that if you're going to take Jim Carrey's performance in Truman Show and Jim Carrey's performance in this, I think this is a much harder role to play. I think that Truman Show is maybe more surprising because it is more dramatic. But I don't think that Jim Carrey himself would probably say this would likely be the hardest role he ever played, which is the reason why he essentially had to become Andy Kaufman to do it. I mean, looking at Best Picture, I mean, American Beauty, obviously one. Cider House Rules, I've never seen, I don't know much about it. Green Mile, I have seen that Insider. good movie. Insider and The Sixth, I mean, The Sixth Sense Me is overrated, absolutely overrated. So uh, I'd say this is better than The Sixth Sense by far. Um, an actor, obviously, are we allowed to say this name anymore? Kevin Spacey, uh, <laughs> Russell Crowe, the esteemed Richard Farnsworth. Um, is that somebody I meant to know who that is? Uh, Sean Penn and Denzel Washington. Um, sorry, Richard Farnsworth. I'm sure you're a great actor. Rest in peace. You're no longer with us. Um, but Jim Carrey for me. <laughs> Not to take away from Richard Farnsworth's great performance in The Straight Story. Uh, probably doesn't hold up very well in 2024. The Straight Story. Anyway, sidetracked. Um, yeah, I think one thing I got out of this movie and kind of based on Andy Kaufman and kind of what he was like is that he was so, and particularly with what Paul Giamatti's character, that very ahead of their time, like they kind of do a lot of stuff that you got like YouTubers doing now, kind of like these mm -hmm. prank sort of things where, you know, like you hear about them talking, doing the whole like running through the zoo going like, ah, the lions escaped and just yeah. like staying in character and doing things like that. That's what people do on YouTube now. That's just standard. That's just what people watch. Mm -hmm. They're like, ah, look at this person doing this on YouTube. Isn't that hilarious? So like, I mean, they like were kind of precursors for this sort of stuff. And the one thing that I noticed about sort of the history with this film is that now, like, I guess with the reception of this, the, the one thing you get mainly with this movie is that obviously Andy Kaufman had such a cult following and such a loyal fan base that 
this is one of the most heavily defended movies I've ever seen of people going like, this isn't how it happened. Uh, yeah. You, yeah. you didn't do this. You didn't do that. Like, Did they not listen to your intro? I know, right? Um, I mean, Literally the intro to the movie. I'm a big Enzo Ferrari fan, but I don't see the Enzo Ferrari fans logging online going like, no, this isn't what happened. Uh, are, the, are the Maestro fans, precursor to a coming soon episode, going on about like, oh, his nose wasn't this long. Um, I mean, maybe they are. But, like, it's obviously just, that's just the legacy he has. And I feel similar to maybe what we're trying to say with Jim Carrey, what, 25 years ago, that today he would be nominated. It's a travesty. I mean, again, I love Eddie Murphy, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, you know, like they famously said that he didn't win that year because he did Norbert the same year. But also mm-hmm. that is a man, if you watch, like, The Nutty Professor and they're all farting around a table, he can still get nominated for that. Yet uh, Jim Carrey can't get nominated because he slightly talked from his ass. Didn't Sasha Baron Cohen get an acting nomination as well recently? So, like, I mean, that's a guy who came out of, like, a jizz-filled elephant's ass or whatever in that movie. So, anyway, the point is, you can forgive people for doing, like, crass roles. I'm sure Meryl Streep's done a few every now and then, maybe. I don't know. Uh, She gets nominated for her worst roles. Exactly. So, what I'm saying is he'd get nominated now, and if Andy Coffin was alive today, which maybe he is... Uh, his type of humour would probably make him the funniest man on the planet right now. So, And the marketing of this movie too. I mean, again, like you're, I think everything about this movie, all of that just seems to be ahead of its time and that if this was released today, it would be, yeah, we'd be getting it. Nom- again, not to shit on Barbie, but if Barbie can get nominated, this 100% should be nominated. Uh, there might be another biopic this year that doesn't deserve to be nominated over something like Man on the Moon. Uh, but the, the thing that I always think about now, uh, not when this movie came out, but now when I see this movie and the type of comedy Andy Coffin was doing and his commitment to, it doesn't matter if people are laughing now. You know, once they, it, it, 20 years from now, when they get the joke, they're going to be laughing. Uh, it's like it's us. basically what we do on this show. <laughs> we're still waiting. When we hit year 20, that's when people are going to start laughing at us. Exactly. But uh, what Joaquin Phoenix did a couple of years ago with that movie he made with Casey Affleck. Uh, I'm not he here. went on Letterman. Yeah. And that's a guy who committed himself to a year to destroying his own reputation. That movie also, when it came out, kind of just nobody, the joke was done and people just didn't see it. Uh, but it shows like that type of comedy, even though not everything in I'm not here was meant to be comedy. It was meant to kind of just what would happen if you did this to a major celebrity. Uh, that's something that is done now and, and was done by one of the most famous actors in the world. Um, I, I, you said you had no familiarity with uh, Andy Kaufman really prior to this. I, I know that when they started talking about this movie, because it was probably around the time of Liar Liar, uh, they're mentioning like, oh, there's a biopic of a comedian Andy Coffin being made. And I started hearing Jim Carrey. As soon as I hear Jim Carrey's name, I'm perked up. I was hearing the other names that were sort of in the mix. Edward Norton was, I guess, the other one who was close. They kind of, uh, Milos Forman did two screen tests, presented it to the studio and said, which guy do you want? Um, and they decided that they wanted Jim Carrey for obviously bankability. Um, but uh, he'd obviously worked with Edward Norton. Edward Norton would have done this more. It, it, I don't think it would have been as funny. Uh, it, it, I definitely could see him pulling off this character. Uh, John Cusack was the other name that I even remember at the time being thrown around. And I was a big John Cusack fan around the time period too. But like, it just seemed like this, like you said, it was made for Jim Carrey and Jim Carrey was so determined to do this movie that uh, I don't think there was any way that they were ever going to make it without Jim Carrey. Uh, But uh, uh, outside of that, like just the, the casting, I don't really know much else about uh, this movie or the, uh, the build up, you know, who Andy Coffin was. And then, 
when they started mentioning the name Andy Kaufman, I'm like, isn't that a name in the REM song, Man on the Moon? Mm -hmm. uh, and then I had to ask my mom. She's like, oh yeah, he was a real guy. He was on the show Taxi, which I'd never seen Taxi. I've since seen Taxi. Have you ever had a chance to see Taxi since? No, I, I always, for some reason. Why did I just get tape thrown in my shoulder? <laughs> this is like the third time. We've been doing this and Jamie's just throwing Thank it. you. For once, it didn't hurt as bad as everything else you throw me. What do you need? Um, I'm making preparation to take you home to make. Do you want me to bring it down even a little I'll wait till I'm done. Thank you. I don't want you throwing my supper at me to get my attention. Wow. You know what I did the best of last year? And there was a, the second Love bit where you... you... <laughs> Love you too. I'm not abused. <laughs> I'm not abused. I've got evidence. This is the third time. Like and I it's to, on video. I feel like I need to call it's it. Going off. to court. Um, I, when I did the best of last year, one of the times you got thrown off, I forgot that earlier in the year you had something thrown at you. <laughs> like You threw me some potato head at me or something like that. That's, um, that's like uh, Rossi was uh, telling me, uh, we were Rocky, we were, so we were recording the other day. It's like, oh, I was just listening to the episode where all the kids came down and interrupted an episode. I'm like, which time? Which and one? Why did I get thrown at me? <laughs> goes, oh, that's right. You got stuff thrown at you in another one that I heard. That's why I miss being in a relationship, just getting shit thrown at me, apparently. <laughs> um, what was the question? Oh, taxi. Yeah, I, I always, like, no, I'd never seen it. Still never seen it. For some weird reason, I always think that I'm like, taxi, that's the one that Jodie Foster got nominated for an Oscar for that that guy tried to kill Ronald Reagan of. And I'm like, no, that's Taxi Driver. It's <laughs> a movie. Um, Same era, I guess. I, but like, I just hear the word taxi and I'm thinking like, why was Andy Kaufman in a movie that a guy tried to kill the president over later on? Because isn't that a drama about like a 12-year-old prostitute or something? Uh, so no, that's my long-winded way of saying I've not seen it. Nor have I seen Taxi Driver. I, I uh, Oh, Taxi Driver is a great movie. You should watch that. Uh, we'll do it on Child Prostitute Month coming soon. We don't even need to look at plot keywords. We got it for next year, Ben. I've, I've already got all of those on my uh, my my deep web. <laughs> uh, but like, I remember asking my mom, do you know who this Andy Kaufman guy is? And she was immediately like, oh, Lotka from Taxi. Like, that's all she knew him from. And I, I think I'm glad that going into this, I didn't have any way of being exposed to the, 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 the comedy of Andy Kaufman and a lot of these other things that he did outside of Taxi that he was famous for, because... I was sort of able to get caught up in the um, uh, the, the drama in the buildup to this movie and all the publicity, which I don't even know if you remember a lot of it, but this was stuff that was all over the news when they were filming it. I mean, the first one I think that hit was uh, when they were doing a press conference, right, when they started filming the movie, and you had Milos Forman, you had Jim Carrey, and all of a sudden Tony Clifton comes out, and I think that was the first time I found out who Tony Clifton was supposed to be, like, before the movie was even finished filming. Because all, all of a sudden, like, Entertainment Tonight and all these other shows and newspapers are showing, like, you know, Tony Clifton, Andy Kaufman character, Tony Clifton disrupts a uh, press conference and it literally ends in Jim Carrey and Tony Clifton getting a fist fight, <laughs> throwing each other around on a table and there are pictures of this. And, but even at the time, I remember like people saying, this might have been a stunt, but we have no confirmation. And then the second one being uh, during the, uh, the, the filming of the wrestling scene with Jerry Lawler, where again, it sort of made like national news or worldwide news that uh, there was an incident and Jim Carrey was taken to hospital because Jerry Lawler had gone too far. And I remember even watching wrestling at that point and tuning into like Monday Night Raw and Jerry Lawler's on commentary and he's taking shots at Jim Carrey. And I think still to this day, Jerry Lawler maintains that that injury and the feud he had with Jim Carrey was real, which I'm still on the fence about because this movie sort of, when we get to the scene, this movie was the first time it was revealed that Jerry Lawler was in on the whole 70s and 80s feud that they had the entire time when this movie was coming out people still thought oh jerry lawler's doing this i thought he hated andy coffin but like those were big incidents that that jim carrey and and the people involved in the movie including an academy award-winning director 
willing to stage these very elaborate stunts that were very Andy Kaufman-like just to throw people off. Just quickly, before I say what I'm going to say about that, uh, Milos Foreman only did one more movie after this before he sadly died in 2018. <laughs> Goya's Ghost, Natalie Portman movie, uh, which... Natalie Portman killed his career. And him, uh, apparently. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, I just... Having watched Jim and Andy, I mean, according to Jim and Andy, it was all real. Uh, The the Jerry Lawler thing. I think Jerry Lawler was on a podcast in the last couple of years and he apparently said, like, yeah, no, it was real. And and as he said, yeah, he's always maintained it was real. But I think Jim Carrey sent him, like, some sort of, like, gift many years later to kind of make up for it. And apparently they're fine now. But um, mm. at least according to Jim and Andy, and, you know Jim Carrey talking about it, like it it, it really happened. <laughs> like, uh, and even the footage of sort of their behind the scenes, you've got Jerry Lawler like grabbing him by the throat and coming at him offset because he, Jerry Lawler's like like I don't know what this is. Like Andy and I are actually friends. Like you know it mm. was it was an act. We were good friends, and yet Jim's in this character and making out like he hates me. So um, yeah, but I like I don't know if I really remember any of that hitting the news like back then again, I would have been like 12. Um, so no, I can't say I do remember it. Um, and like, yeah, as I said, like I, I thought that man on the moon was a song written for this movie. I didn't realize it was the other way around. Uh, great song. I, I, yeah, I just got into an REM zone last night. I'm just like, I want to listen to some REM. Oh, uh, we- I, I just, had delivered REM's Accelerate, their 2008 album on vinyl, which oh. I was listening to yesterday. They haven't released an album in a while, have they? Oh, they they broke up after 2011, I think, was their last album. Oh, like, it was an amicable split up. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to Bad Day last night. I'm like, I like this song. Does this song... How's Very Bad song. Day rated in the REM fan community? Um, I mean, it, yeah, when it came out, it was like, hey, this is REM going back to their 80s sound, so I think people liked it. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Um... But yeah, I think like, again, the marketing around that and doing it, because like, I guess there are certain people, if you're doing a biopic about it, like certain people have reputations in that, that, you know, like if you're going to go into this and just produce it and publicize it standardly, is that going to, like if you did a Jim Carrey biopic, like it's going to be kind of one of these things where you've got to be a Mm. certain way. And that's what I liked about the Jim and Andy one was that the documentary is that it was a lot more grounded than i was expecting because it's, it's almost yeah. as much as much as it's a behind the scenes look at this movie probably a quarter of the film is almost just looking at jim carrey's career and him like opening up about a lot of things i mean he's crying in this thing it's like it was very mm-hmm. personal for him but like him sort of talking about being drawn to like an andy kaufman and saying basically like i was born to play this role because we're both like people who have a standard of comedy that is unique and you know we're a bit out of the box and all these kind of things that he was like talking about I'm like yeah okay I see it so when you look at the other people who could have been cast in this I mean Gary Oldman I mean that man's is the male Meryl Streep he can basically play anyone so I could probably see that uh Edward Norton yeah I don't know uh Kevin Spacey I mean look I could kind of see Kevin Spacey because didn't he do what was that biopic he did the, the, the Bobby Darren one yeah which again, see, yeah. never seen but like I hear nothing but good Great things movie. about that so um and I think it's kind of one of these ones where we've often talked about how you get comedians playing like serious roles and that often works because if you know you need subtle humor in a role comedians know what they're doing like we're talking, and we're going to talk about it in this episode Marilyn Radskip like we talk about her like in 24 <laughs> didn't know she was in this movie hello Marilyn did um, you know the other twenty-four actors in here? There's another twenty-four actor in this movie. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a good surprise for you coming up. There's a, there's a, <laughs> You're gonna enjoy it. There's a James Bond henchman in this film. Um, so, <laughs> there is. And there's uh, what's his face from um, 
uh, House of Cards is in this movie in a very small yeah. role. So anyway, but like like Break, Breaking Bad did a lot. They hired a lot of comedians to do really serious roles in a work. But I feel like this is kind of like you need to have a comedian in this role, if you know what I mean. And this is where I think Jim Carrey never gets applauded for being a serious actor because you kind of solve this on being a lot more serious than, say, The Truman Show, and I think it is. But it's also like it's a, it's a level where he can play like the really deep and dramatic stuff that no one ever gives him credit for while also being having the ability to be this goofball Andy Kaufman, mm-hmm. which I don't know if Edward Norton could have done. I don't know if I've ever laughed at anything Edward Norton's done. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, he had a couple funny moments. You wouldn't like me when I'm hungry? That was pretty good. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's right up there with, hello, I am Andy Kaufman and this is my movie. I mean, often the funniest moments in movie history. <laughs> Um, it, w- one thing with, uh, um, the, the Jim Carrey, uh, the, the interview stuff with, uh, Jim and Andy, uh, I, I don't remember everything about that one, but like you mentioned, like he mentions the Jerry Lawler feud. Did they address the whole press conference thing with Bob yeah, the, Zamuda, the, the, the pre- real Bob Zamuda? No, that press conference isn't in there, but, uh, they, they, oh, yeah, okay. the wrestling part they talk about, which is, I actually said yeah. that that was a period of wrestling that I watched. So like I grew mm-hmm. up with like. Jerry Lawler and Jim Ross commentating. And, yeah, who's and also in this movie. He is. And actually, Jim Ross still alive. Good for him. Um, yeah. Until this episode gets released, he'll probably die. But, like, <laughs> I used to love him. And I, I remember, like, always, because at the period when I watched it, Jerry Lawler was just a commentator. And then, like, every now and then he would wrestle and he would be, like, a real asshole. Because I think they did, like, mm-hmm. a, I think he was in one of the inaugural King of the Rings. And then, like, yeah. I remember there was a Kiss My Foot match. Was it with Bret Hart? With Bret Hart, And yeah. he'd, like, rub his foot in manure and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> like... I remember all of that and the fact that they get Jerry Lawler to play himself. Like I always loved Jerry Lawler just as a kid. It was kind of one of those around and Jim Ross, like I thought like as a commentator, he was fantastic. So I was kind of like, ah, a bit nostalgic for like the late nineties when I actually watched wrestling. Uh, I have some more theories when we get to the, the Jerry Lawler sequences here on, on what's real, how it could have been. Some of it faked, how some of it might've been real. I'll get to that later on, but uh, starting off the movie here, um, this is, what makes this movie so brilliant and why I said like, this is a movie that Andy Kaufman would be because they literally start the movie with something that is very similar to a lot of the stuff from the Andy Kaufman television special that they show later on, where he's just messing with the audience. You know, he comes out in his foreign man character. He's talking about how uh, all of our opening lines that, you know, they, they, they don't have a movie. It's terrible. Uh, the movie's uh, shorter. This is it. <laughs> this is the movie rolling to the credits, playing the record with the music, Watching it, the music stopping, him oh. having to start it over. Whoa! Hang on, that's not what I was trying to press. Keep, go- keep going. <laughs> Playing the music, <laughs> rolling the credits. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's just, it, it, you know that everybody in the audience is going to be sticking around or whatever, but it's such, it's such a funny joke where he's off screen because they, they fade to black for a lot longer than I remember them going. Yeah. I think, I think they back, should I think should have ended it. It's kind of like that that meme if you've ever seen going around going like they should announce that there's a Groundhog Day 2 and when they release the movie it's just literally the first movie. Like yeah. that's <laughs> like that's what they should have done with this. That's the end of the movie and you're like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> uh but uh yeah, he he starts telling a story and as far as like him growing up, I think that's another reason why I like this movie. They they center it all on his career. We see a couple of things when he's a kid. They they show the home movies, which I'm, I don't know if these are actual home movies. They might be. Um, but uh, introduces his family, who really don't have a lot to do in this movie. Uh, and then we get young Andy, who's performing his little act uh, in his room. And uh, his dad comes in and tells him, like, you know, you, you can't just be by yourself putting on these shows all the time. 
uh, you know, if you want to perform, you need an audience. So I have an audience here. I love the dad's line here. That's not an audience. That's plaster. That's what we and tell ourselves every week. That's not an audience. That's a computer. That's plaster. We have audiences. <laughs> but uh, th then they immediately cut to, okay, I'll find off an audience. He brings his sister in, does uh, his little howdy duty show there. Two years in a row, we got the howdy duty time. Howdy, howdy duty time. Duty time. <laughs> both movies, we got two Christopher Lloyd movies two years in a row with Christopher Lloyd starring with Howdy Doody. That's impressive. He loves Howdy Doody, uh, Christopher Lloyd. is like, I will only do a movie if Howdy Doody's yeah, in it. <laughs> he did not want to sign on to the Andy Kaufman biopic when they said, Howdy Doody's in it. Howdy Doody. <laughs> then he's on. <laughs> That's a good impersonation. Howdy Doody. <laughs> Howdy Doody time. Uh, then it just immediately cut straight to him performing in the club, doing his whole, the cow goes moo. And I just love how bored the people are, but they're still playing along. The horse goes, nay, nay. <laughs> Uh, now, I, I always mix this up because uh, th there's something I saw. It was probably just a clip of Andy Kaufman from one of his comedy specials or some stand-up act he did where he did a song on the, the piano. And it's a song. This is the one I always remember. It's not The Cow Goes Moo. And it's a song called Confidence where it's like a little kid song. And he goes with a C and an O and an N and an F and an I and a D and an N's. And I just thought it was so funny. He goes and an N's. <laughs> and that's a song that like I'll always if I'm ever trying to say some of the kids, you know, uh, kids, uh, we need you guys to cooperate with us with a C and an O and an O and a P and an E and an R and an A. Uh, but yeah, completely different act. But like, this is the type of comedy he was doing. I'm going to do like the goofiest little kid thing. Goofy. Uh, and uh, <laughs> let's stop bringing Goofy on here. <laughs> we'll get to the movie one day. <laughs> um, but uh the club owner, which uh, I don't know if you looked up a lot of the cameos. There are a ton of cameos. This is the real George Shapiro. This is yeah. the guy that Danny DeVito plays in the movie is playing the club owner, wants to fire him. All of Andy's line is like, fire me. You don't even pay me. Uh, and uh, he's saying, I need somebody who's going to get the crowd hot. He goes, the crowd was hot. There was one guy over here who was really angry. <laughs> uh, and uh, the club owner is trying to just try out some jokes, like do some impressions or something. He's like, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, take my wife, please take her or whatever. It says, just do something. Uh, so we cut to his next act where he comes out and he's literally doing the whole thing, but he's doing it as his impression. This is this foreign man character, the, the Lotka character from Taxi, uh, where uh, he's uh, literally doing these jokes about traffic and everything. The traffic was so bad. It took me an hour and a half to get here. And the crowd's just like shaking their head like, oh, not this guy again. Uh, take my wife, please take her. You hear groans from the crowd. And this to me is like the most brilliant thing. And this is like, I guess, Andy Kaufman, one of his most famous stand-up things he did, where he's like, I'm going to do an impression of famous U.S. President <laughs> Jimmy Carter. Hi, I am U.S. President <laughs> Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and then he's like, I will do Elvis Presley. And you get like all these groans from the crowd. And then he turns around, lights go down. You know, you get him stripping off his clothes. He's got the jumpsuit on there and he does basically the most spot on Elvis impression that anybody had ever seen, which I guess this is something that he was really famous for that. Like people said, Andy Kaufman's Elvis impression was like one of the best you will ever Elvis, see. Which Elvis I, himself, I think, came out and said that was the best he'd ever seen. Did he really? I, wow. I read, I read yeah. a trivia bit saying that, I mean, I guess the timing would be sort of accurate. He would have been mm -hmm. uh, doing comedy just what Elvis was at 77 when he died or the year, I should say. But like, uh, was yeah. it 74? I said, whatever. But I think I did read a quote that Elvis himself said this was like the most spot on impression he'd ever seen of himself. Yeah, because I mean, I, did, I know Andy Kaufman did a lot of Saturday Night Live appearances. Um, and I don't know if this ever made on Saturday Night Live, but that would have debuted, you know, when Elvis was still alive too. Uh, but I mean, that that's the, the entire joke here. You know, this is... Uh, and, and it's funny, 
when you look at like the the comedy he does after this, this is basically the last time he tries to leave the crowd happy until he gets to Carnegie Hall, which I think is funny how they structure things in the movie mm-hmm. that he actually wants to leave the crowd happy. Uh, in the crowd is Danny DeVito. Um, just Danny DeVito. Oh. <laughs> we done a Danny uh, DeVito a- movie yet? I don't think we have, have we? No, I mean, we talked about doing, well, we talked about doing most of the Schwarzenegger movies. So I think Twins and Junior have been uh, debated around and everything. But uh, Danny DeVito was a producer on this movie, which what I find funny about this is that Danny DeVito was one of those, and he's the only taxi, well, one of only two taxi cast members who don't reprise his own role in this because he's obviously playing the, the agent, George Shapiro. But uh, it's always sort of been said, like Andy Kaufman didn't get along with the, the cast members. I think Danny DeVito's even said, Again, I don't know if he was in the Jim and Andy documentary, but even Danny DeVito said, like, yeah, none of us got along with Andy Coffin, but it's like, but we respected what he did. And Danny DeVito is a guy so determined, you know, that, that like this guy's story, even if I didn't get along with him personally, needs to be told. Apparently, what what drew Danny DeVito to the story and he wanted to develop this movie, like to produce it, was when he found out, or even I guess observed. Andy's relationship with his agent, uh, which you know, George Shapiro, I guess, was a pretty famous agent, and Andy Coffin was just one of his clients. I don't think Andy Coffin was ever like, you know, the level where this is your only client or anything, but uh, he just loved the idea of that, so wanted to play this. Um, I only recently so, died, George Shapiro. I only died in the last like two years. Oh, like, nine, in my heart actually stopped. I thought you were talking about Danny DeVito for a second. Like, oh, what? No, no. <laughs> would, have a, would have a national day of mourning for that. No, George Shapiro died in 2022. He was 91. Mm. Good for him. Uh, I the the scene here where George introduces himself to Andy, uh, you know, and he keeps doing this character again. It's just sort of about like what his dedication was to his act that he wasn't going to let it slip even behind the scenes that you know, he wasn't just this crazy foreign guy or whatever. Uh, but he hands him his card. Says, "Yeah, well, where are you from? You sound like you're Lithuanian." Because even asked that guy in the crowd, "Where is this? who is this guy?" I don't know. I think he's from Lithuania or something. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, this is like one of the guys who works in the club and has probably seen Andy's act a million times. Uh, and I am from Caspiar. It is from the Caspian Sea. Oh, okay. Caspiar sunk into the ocean. Oh, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, but after he, he hands him his card, I like that he he's still thank you very much or whatever. And then only after he reads the name George Pierre, which I guess you know he was supposed to be a big deal at the time. Then all of a sudden he slips in. Okay, I'm Andy Kaufman. Uh, he meets up with him. Uh, He's talking about what he wants to do with his career and he's putting like a seed on his coming out of his nose. But then every time George is like looking away, he's switching to the other nostril and everything until George is uh, eventually catching on. You got something in your nose there. I think he even says like, I just don't want to go for cheap laughs as he's like staring at this thing dangling out of his nose. (laughs) You got something like on your nose there. He blows it out and then wraps it up and says, I'm going to save this for later. and It'll be worth some money one day. This was an Andy Kaufman's nostril. Uh, the uh, uh, George Pierre, I guess, just gets his act right away. Uh, and uh, he says he doesn't really know how he's going to book him. Uh, he uh, has a phone call or George gets a phone call from Tony Clifton, who starts harassing him, uh, which hasn't been revealed who Tony Clifton is at this point. And uh, we see that Andy is into transcendental meditation and he's asking his guru or whatever, what is the secret to being funny? And he says silence. Uh, so after George says he doesn't know how to book him, we get to Saturday Night Live, which this, uh, I, like a lot of the events in this movie have been rearranged, obviously. You know, even the Carnegie Hall performance is something that took place like much earlier in his career. But uh, this actually was, like Andy Kaufman was on the premiere episode of Saturday Night Live. Uh, and uh, I, I don't know uh, when I saw it, but afterwards, like when Saturday Night Live was in reruns, I was able to see this. And this is basically duplicated exactly as it is, other than like the host, which uh, 
This is Richard Belzer, who's like a stand-up comedian and also one of the Law and Order shows he's on or something. But I guess George Carlin was the host of the original one, and I guess didn't want to play himself in this. I, I know Lorne Michaels is in that meeting, but isn't he also in the crowd too? Because like Lorne Michaels plays himself in this, right? Yeah, which again, that's one of the other things that they change around the events of uh, for Lorne Michaels scene later on. But uh, uh, the, the only real difference here is who's introing him. And I guess the other thing that I read, which is that he says, welcome back to the premiere episode of Saturday Night Live, which the show wasn't called Saturday Night Live, I think, till the second or third season. It was like, you know, NBC Saturday Night or something like that. But otherwise, if you ever watch Andy Kaufman's Saturday Night Live, because it is exactly like this. He goes out on stage. He is dead silent. He has awkward looks. The crowd doesn't know what to make of this guy. Uh, and all of a sudden, he just turns on a record and is playing the Mighty Mouse theme. He's still doing nothing, doing absolutely nothing until it comes to the, here I come to save the day, where he mimes it and everything and the, the crowd erupts which it's not um, it's like this is just i feel i should really watch more andy kaufman because this is ben waterworth who oh, you should. this isn't even funny but like it is funny <laughs> like it's just, yeah but like the one thing i don't know like again i i know liar liar back to front and i also watched it recently but like there's a line in liar liar where he like when the um he's can't lie and he's defending what's a face at one point she walks in and you get a bit where jim carrey goes here she comes to wreck the day and the judge oh. is like silence and he's like sorry so like when i saw this I'm like hey like that's where obviously jim carrey because i don't think i ever watched mighty mouse so i didn't know the song so obviously that line was taken from mighty mouse and he just yeah. interpreted it so yeah like to me I, when he did this bit i'm like hey it's a liar liar bit and i'm like oh wait okay clearly liar liar was ripping it off something else uh, I guess I'll kind of I'll stop it here as he gets the offer for taxi and the negotiations. So uh, after a Saturday Live appearance, um, George calls him in and says, "We got this great offer. It's for a sitcom. It's called Taxi." Uh, he he says it's like you know, the this is like not cheap comedy or whatever. It's from very respected writers. Andy doesn't want to do it. He hates sitcoms. Uh, this is apparently something very real. And he George basically talks to him and he says, "You may never get a shot like this. You want to be." doing the things you want to do. You have to get exposure. This is what you need. So he talks him into it. He says, I'm going to make all these demands. He writes it down. George looks at the list and says, are you joking with me? Like, what is this? Who is Tony Clifton? This guy called me. <laughs> he harassed me or whatever. Uh, he's still not letting uh, George in on the joke. Uh, and um, we get him going to the network executives here at ABC, which we get our Tomorrow Never Dies henchman here. Oh. Uh, who coincidentally shares a name with the title character of this movie. We got Dr. Kaufman uh, playing the man who hires Andy Kaufman at ABC. I didn't realize uh, and, and, that just clicked. Good job. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, when I was making my notes, I said, Dr. Kaufman. I'm like, wait, this is Andy Kaufman. I'm just a professional uh, now, doing my job. <laughs> <laughs> this is very embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we already have covered one of his movies because, of course, he was uh, he was in Ghost. He wasn't was in he? Ghost, he was, yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, yeah, I think we homeless did, guy in Ghost. Pretty sure we did another movie with him in it too, didn't we? And we realized like he's been in a few. Like he's he pops up every now well, and then. He's one of Milos Forman's guys because he yeah, he got his break in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Which have you ever seen One Floor of the Cuckoo's no. Nest? Come on, Colin, uh, this is a, me. <laughs> <laughs> it is an amazing movie. Like uh, yes, it's you know I, I don't know if you would consider it an art house movie. It was seventies drama or whatever, but it's also kind of strangely funny. And Danny DeVito, of course, uh, kind of got his start in like, before Danny DeVito was ever on Taxi. Danny DeVito got his break in the Jack Nicholson movie with this guy Vincent Schiavelli hmm. or whatever it is. One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, directed by Milos Forman. Um, I was in the, so, he was uh, in the Beautician and the Beast. Uh, there but was go. he? I don't remember yeah. that. He was the jailer in Beautician and the Beast. <laughs> That's who he was. Oh, he's he's going to be coming up on 
Brendan and Arnie and Tim Allen rank soon as far as amount of times. Well, well, apparently he was in the um the uh, when we did the Enzo when we did the Ferrari uh, review. And I mentioned that there was like a TV movie made in Italy in like 2003. Apparently he's in that. So there you go. We can oh. we can watch him in that. He was in Hey Arnold. Oh. He, <laughs> I love that. I'll watch him in anything. Yeah. He's great. He was in the um, sequel to Casper. He was in Casper Meets Wendy. <laughs> oh, that's Casper's favorite Casper movie, actually. Oh, Casper. Have you seen the original Why Casper? Casper's favorite Casper movie. He did. We had to stop him from watching it, though. Um, <laughs> at the time, there, there's there's... Uh, he he was taking on some of the obnoxious stuff in the movie, uh, as laughing at it and repeating it. That he shouldn't have. Well, that's Cass, but I, I would say like, I am listening. But uh, he's in a movie that I know you've mentioned. He was in the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. Oh, <laughs> that's right, he was. He played like an alien in that movie. There you go. <laughs> uh, how did you ever cast him in that? Um, so yeah, this this whole thing is setting up the first appearance of Tony Clifton because. When George says these are his demands, he only works this. I don't remember all the demands that he listed in the movie. I know one of the demands that was real, which I don't know if they addressed in this movie, was that Andy Kaufman only worked two days a week on the show. So whereas everybody else would be there for five days, you know, for rehearsals and read-throughs and everything, Andy Kaufman was there. I'll do one day of read-throughs or whatever, and then one day of filming, and that was it. Uh, which is one of the reasons a lot of the members of Taxi didn't like Andy Kaufman. Because he uh, he kind of had a better deal than they did. Kind of like this show. Um, Noah shows up once a year. <laughs> yeah, well, twice. You uh, might be hearing him twice coming up soon. I will only work <laughs> one day a year on the Oz Network. <laughs> <laughs> but you can you can get two for the price of one, just like Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton. Exactly. Uh, so George goes to check out Tony's act, and uh, you get this bad lounge singer or whatever, uh, who's berating the audience and everything. And uh, he goes up to talk to people in the crowd. And one of the guys he talks to is Paul Giamatti, who at this point, the audience has no idea who he is. Uh, and he just starts insulting him. I love he, he's saying like, what's your name, Bob? And then uh, what is his name was Bob Gorski or something like that. He's like, yeah, is that a Polish joke? I don't appreciate this racial, racial anti-Semitism <laughs> humor you have. Uh, he picks a fight with this guy. George sees him backstage afterwards, and uh, this is where he kind of lifts up his glasses and reveals he is Andy Kaufman. And George is still kind of appalled by this, not like this is a hilarious joke. He's like, you just humiliated that guy out there. And then Paul Giamatti walks in and realizes he's in on the whole joke. This is Bob. So Bob Zamuda, this is Andy Kaufman's real-life writing partner, uh, who also have a cameo coming up later in the movie, who is also like the creative consultant on this movie. Who also was the Tony Clifton that picked a fight with Jim Carrey at a press conference? <laughs> uh, so uh, this guy was the second man. I mean, Andy Kaufman, of course, gets all the credit, but I mean, Bob's Moon deserves just as much of it. This movie kind of you know, gives him the props here. Uh, so this just sort of uh, uh, ends right before we get to, I guess, the the introduction of Taxi. Um, yeah, I mean, the the opening of the movie is brilliant, and like it makes more sense having watched the movie now. That like I mean you know I could rewatch this now and go like ha 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 like I, I get the joke even more. Um, it's kind of almost like the reverse Ferris Bueller. That sounds like a sex position. Um, where it's like you know you're still here, go home. Um, but he does that kind of like at the beginning. Um, but yeah, like it's sort of quick to the point. Like when I say it's like a paint by numbers biopic, like I mean I'm going like oh you get the beginning him as a kid, but then it kind of skips right to him like doing the bit. But there's I always like watching, there's often YouTube channels where they will get like a biopic and put it scene by scene with like real life. Like there was all the Elvis ones that they did. And I think they even, isn't it in the credits of Elvis where they actually show you side by side ones anyway? But like Elvis got it very spot on, particularly with a lot of like the movies 
that they show in the Elvis movie that Elvis did. And this one, like, if you watch the side-by-side comparisons, like, yeah, okay, like, they show this whole Calgo's move thing as a bit of him on TV versus him in a club. But, like, the Saturday Night Live bit is, like, very spot on and, you, you know, it's, like, very cleverly done how they do it. So often you can have that with... I know I know you don't like the movie, but they did it with, like, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, you know, they kind of show, like, the there's... It's actually a really good clip. Like, the 20-minute Live Aid performance, they've done a side-by-side comparison, and you can see how well they, like, recreated that. So, yeah, a lot of these ones have done that really, really well. Um, but, like, I, I'm, like, thinking that... I always had an opinion that Andy Coffin always spoke like this. Like, I just thought that was just him. <laughs> Like so when he actually just like kind of talks normally i'm like oh okay like he talks normally (laughs) but like just watching this bit like again having never seen this having not really knowing much of andy kaufman and when he's doing this like you know i am now going to do an impersonation of president jimmy carter hello i am jimmy carter president i'm thinking like is this it is this actually how we got famous (laughs) like this is this bad is this the point was it like ed wood like isn't it like the worst filmmaker like that you know but then, like, I get it when he does, like, the Elvis and everything. Like, just so funny. Um, I'm going to start doing that with putting things in my nose and putting them on paper. Like, this is going to be famous <laughs> one day. <laughs> I actually used to do it when I was a kid. I used to sign things and go, like, hold on to this. This will be famous. Like, Jim Carrey tells a story in Jim and Andy. And Jim Carrey's always told the famous story about how he wrote himself a $10 million check. And was like, yeah. I'm going to make it one day. And, you know, my, my dad, I remember when I was a kid and I've got it somewhere. He wrote on a piece of paper... I promise to give you a million dollars when it comes available to me. So like if my dad won the lotto tomorrow, something like dad, you owe me a million dollars. Legally binding. <laughs> exactly. So, but like, I used to like, I used to sign things as a kid. So like, and like the, the people have got them somewhere. Um, I, I, I had, um, when I, the job that I, you know, lovelyly got made redundant from recently, one of the, <laughs> the games afterwards, I'm, I'm on the field. I'm like doing interviews with players and so I've got to like walk back to like where I've got to go. So I've got to walk past a crowd and there's this group of like girls who are like, oh my God, oh my God, can I have your autograph? They're just like being, you know, like 12 year old girls. And I'm looking at them going like, oh, 12 year old girls. Here we go. I've got a chance. Um, <laughs> that joke went. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for the laughter. I'm like turning you down to Kaufman. Colin's going, Ben, I, I think you're playing into this joke too much. Um, so I'm like, oh, like, don't be stupid. I'm nobody. I'm like, oh, please sign it. And, uh, you know, just sign it as anybody. And I'm like, who do you want me to be? And they're like, oh, Taylor Swift. And I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. Fine. So I sign it. I'm like, dear, like Jenny, follow your dreams, Taylor Swift. <laughs> and I gave it to them. And I'm like, you just met Taylor Swift. And I walked off. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the Andy Kaufman of Sydney, apparently. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm just watching this. Here he comes to save the day. <laughs> like this isn't funny, but it is. Like, and I like it kind of like when he goes to like you think he's about to say the bit, and he goes, and he just he's just waiting, and then yeah. here he comes. <laughs> like you and I could be famous. We just need to do this. Um, you know, we'll just go and stand on a stage, and I don't know, be like. If you believe they put a man on the moon, and you could just come pop up in the background and go, man on the moon. <laughs> Man on the moon. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, I love this um George Shapiro. Not George Shapiro, the um yeah, George the Danny Tony, No, Tony Clifton guy. Oh, Clifton, yeah. Um just 
It's just not even funny, but it's just it's just so wrong, but just funny at the same time. It reminds me of Shady Tree. I don't know why from Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> You're a terrible audience. Go away or whatever it is. Like there's um, have you ever watched on YouTube? Um, oh, what's his name? Uh, the Critical Drinker, the the channel. No. So he's like he's like a Scottish guy who kind of just sits there. And like he'll do movie reviews, but his whole stick is he's just grumpy. So we're like he ends every video with like, "That's all I've got today. Go away now." <laughs> like, and it's just he always like he's got really thick Scottish accent, and he's just basically like he he does like very like critical reviews of things, and he's you know, but like he's funny. So it kind of reminds me of that. Um, but I just want to talk about Danny DeVito quickly because like I mean, he's hilarious. We love Danny DeVito, but like mm. I always forget how good of an actor he is. Has he won an Oscar? Yeah. He's been nominated, surely, hasn't he? I don't even think he's been nominated. Really? Let me look. I thought yeah. he has. I mean, he's just so like, yeah, he's hilarious. He has been nominated. Oh, he's a producer on Aaron Brockovich. Um, oh, you like the producer? Yeah, he's produced a lot of stuff. Um, BAFTA, yeah, he won Academy Award. Nom- these are all nominees. Emmys, he won an Emmy for Taxi uh, in 1981. See, I've watched, um, yeah, I've watched bits and pieces of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it's a show that I really want to, oh, he's in Space Jam. We have done a Danny DeVito movie. He was mm. uh, the boss, the Swashstacker or whatever his name was. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I've watched parts of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and it's just, it's funny. That That's kind of, to me, like an Andy Kaufman show where it's kind of like, it's just, it's offbeat humour where you've just got to, like, keep watching it to kind of get it, if you know what I mean? Like, it's just like, mm. okay, I get it now. So that's a show that I really want to watch, but what a man. And and he's he's a small man, but like I mean and we we speaking of small men, we did cover Get Shorty with him as well. So we've actually done quite a bit of Danny DeVito. <laughs> that's a bit mean. Speaking of short men, he was in Get <laughs> well, Shorty. <laughs> Get Shorty. It was literally called Get Shorty. He's in Mars he's in Mars Attacks. Oh yeah. He's um Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I always forget he's in Mars Attacks. The gambler. Yeah. Um he's in Junior. Oh, he's been in lots of um lots of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, uh, but I, I did love the uh, the bit there where they say like uh, on the the trivia, like good old IMDb trivia, Danny DeVito and Jim Carrey both played Batman villains, and it's like, <laughs> yes, they did. Um, <laughs> thanks for the update. Uh, but yeah, I mean, all this sort of stuff's fun, good setup. Uh, so as far as movies, he's had two Golden Globe nominations, which is actually two years in a row where he got nominated for Best Actor in musical or comedy, Ruthless People in 1987 and Throw Mama from the Train in 1988, which I haven't seen either of those movies, but uh, uh, back-to-back to, back to back Golden Globe nominee for Best Actor. Um, he's one step behind Jim Carrey, I guess. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm going to uh, get back to the movie in a second, but when we were talking about the casting, the one thing I actually forgot, you mentioned the name Gary Oldman, which I don't know if you read the trivia about Gary Oldman's involvement in this, was it, that the one about the impersonator had, who like tried to like yeah. break on set so, and Gary Oldman had turned it down completely? Was like, what? Well, he he had <laughs> apparently even met with producers and, and executives and stuff like this, but it was literally just a guy impersonating Gary Oldman. And Gary <laughs> Oldman found out about it. It's like, this isn't me. And that basically ended. But that, that's why the first actor they were looking at was Gary Oldman. And I don't know if it was that somebody came to them and said, I'm Gary Oldman. I hear you're making a Andy Coffin biopic. But he apparently got quite far <laughs> through several meetings before they realized this is not actually Gary Oldman. But this is actually now the second Jim Carrey movie 
uh, that we've talked about where Gary Oldman was the original guy they were looking well, at. Well, I suppose Rick Moranis wasn't on the list. He's been on every other <laughs> list this month. Well, we've got <laughs> Gary Oldman or, or Rick Moranis. Those are the two guys that uh, they will always settle for Jim Carrey when they say no. If you can't get Gary Oldman, you can't get Rick Moranis, just ask Jim Carrey. He'll do it. But Rick Moranis um, is a great Canadian, isn't he? He's Canadian, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Gary Oldman, so not Gary o- Canadian. Not Canadian, but he could play a Canadian <laughs> if he wanted to. <laughs> Just to clear that up, <laughs> Gary Oldman, not Canadian. <laughs> he would be the most convincing Canadian you've ever seen. He would be. Uh, Even Meryl Streep were- could play like the Trudeau, the, the famous ones. And this is how we gave birth to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> you, you weren't on the episode, but I know you heard it. But I don't know if you remember uh, the, the guy who played Vlad in Die Another Day when I interviewed him for mm. 007. Mm. When he did that uh, Hitman's Bodyguard movie with Gary Oldman, the Gary Oldman story he told, yeah, yeah, which yeah. might be the best, better than any Kiefer story we've ever gotten. The Gary Oldman literally just in front of the entire crew started talking himself down and insulting him. I'm terrible. I'm horrible. I shouldn't even be in this business. And like, okay, let's roll the camera. <laughs> that was how he got into character. I love Gary uh, Oldman. That's a man. Oh, uh, not, nothing Gary Oldman's ever done uh, isn't worth covering. Uh, so now we get into the filming a taxi. It's on the air. We get this montage showing, I guess these are like famous episodes and everything. Uh, and they get the entire original cast back, which uh, That's very one clever. thing this movie does. Yeah. Uh, but like one thing this movie does is outside of, I think, giving Jerry Lawler the cheesy 70s goatee, there is no makeup on anybody. So like I know hmm. David Letterman later on is not a makeup. Paul Schaefer is not a makeup. None of these taxi cast members are, are wearing wigs or anything like that. Uh, now the, the cast of taxi was huge, uh, like, or have gone on to be huge. Cause obviously you had Danny DeVito, you had Christopher Lloyd, Andy Kaufman, Tony Danza, who's the only one who's not in this movie. Um, Mary Lou Henner, who, uh, I guess is more famous now for the fact that it's come out that she has like a mind that never, never forgets anything. I don't know if you knew this about her. No. Uh, Oh, no, it's literally she's... something was like you you could uh, well she's in taxi <laughs> she's Thanks. one of the people here in taxi as i said i watched head. it religiously <laughs> <laughs> but like she's she's the redhead who's on the set here so she has this uh i guess i don't know if you call it a super ability or whatever but she literally can't forget anything so you could mention you know she april 17th 1978 and she will tell you what she ate for breakfast what was in the news that day you know what she wore um, which is incredible power. Uh, but the, 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 the one discrepancy here is there's the, the actress, Carol Kane, which uh, uh, she's a kind of weird actress. Uh, I don't know how you describe her style of comedy. We're going to be covering her a little bit later in this year. She's a Hallmark actor cr- now. Sorry, to, Mary Lou Henner is basically Mary Lou like, Henner? I'm looking here, her, her filmography basically from 2015 onwards. <laughs> they're like, I'm reading like, they're very like, uh, it's an Aurora Tiargan mystery. She plays Ada Tiergarden. <laughs> And basically, that's all she does now. Because I love how, like, you literally have written on IM, on um, Wikipedia, television film in brackets Hallmark. <laughs> like, well, the, the thing, she was on one of the uh, one of the Celebrity Apprentices. I remember she was on, and she made it quite far. Um, but then the other actress who actually played Andy Kaufman's wife uh, on the show, uh, Carol Kane. Um, she was she was in the Adams Family movies. I don't know if you ever saw those. Oh, a long time uh, ago. Yeah, I guess we're going to be covering her a little bit later on this year in Scrooged, uh, the the Bill Murray movie. She uh, plays one of the ghosts in that. But uh, I mean, if you saw her, you'd you'd be like, oh yeah, I've seen her in a million things. Uh, apparently, she was the only one in the cast who actually got along with Andy Kaufman. Maybe it's because she played like his love interest on the show. And she, of all the taxi cast members, she's the only one who actually went to his funeral, which kind of goes against the, the actors at the funeral at the end of this movie. But. Uh, most of these taxi actors just play themselves in the montage and one clip later on, but Tony Danza was the only one 
who didn't appear in this movie, which there have been two stories. One story was that he was doing a Broadway play at the time, so he couldn't appear in the movie. The other story was that he really didn't get along with Andy Kaufman and had no interest in being in this movie. Um, which the other cast members are all kind of backed up. They're saying like the, the movie dramatizes a little bit, but none of us were really close to Andy Kaufman, but we also were kind of annoyed by him a lot of the time because he he was this weird guy who wouldn't really interact with people and was more interested in making people upset with him and stuff like that. But it's 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 kind of crazy though that they got the entire cast of this TV show to come back to do a biopic playing themselves mm. for a guy that they really didn't even get along with. Yeah, I I think it's like genius like i mean it's very clever to do that and particularly like they look still i mean again i've never watched taxi but watching the side-by-side shots on that youtube channel like they still look pretty good for their age and like this is what 20 odd years prior to de-aging um so like i just think it's very clever and like i mean it's it's if you do a matthew perry biopic like you you know you it'd be the same i mean the the difference is people and friends they all got along so i mean you'd be able to get the original five but no disrespect. I mean, Jennifer Anderson still looks great. Courtney Cox still looks great. Lisa Kudrow's kind of just let herself age naturally. Uh, Matthew, Matt LeBlanc and David Schumer don't really look like they used to. So, you know, you're not going to get them to look the same. But, I mean, yeah. it, it'd be that level of doing that where I can't think mm. of another biopic where they've done this. Because they're even getting, like, Jerry yeah. Lawler to play himself, David Letterman to play himself, Paul Shaver to play himself. Like, um, you know, Lorne Michaels to play himself. Like, it's clever. Like, you don't usually get that. You usually... Like, I know... Again, you don't really know who Shane Warne is, but like they uh, they do Australia when we do our biopics, we do our cheesy like TV adaptions, and although the NXS one I've said is a really good one, they did like a Paul Hogan one. Uh, there's an Olivia Newton John one, but like they did a Shane Warne one like last year, which everybody ripped into. I mean, it's honestly, not that bad. It's what you expect from a cheesy, quickly made TV movie about a sporting legend. But the casting in that was some of the worst I'd ever seen when it came to like the side cricketers, when it's like. Oh, and again, you're not going to know who this is, and Australians might know who this is, but like, oh, he's Steve Waugh. And I'm like, could you at least try and cast someone who kind of looks like Steve Waugh? Like, this is a very famous man in Australia, and you've just basically gone and cast, like, it'd be like if you got, like, Eddie Murphy to play, like, uh, Andy Kaufman. You'd be like, he's a bit shorter than Andy Kaufman. He looks different. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> it's the height. That's the real problem. It's just, it's just the rush hour. It's like, what are you talking about? I'm not going to fit in here. I'm at least three foot taller than everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, it's very clever that you're able to get like the cast of a show, particularly again, when they don't like him. Because I think it must have been yeah. from Carol Kane. There's one of the trivia saying that like, oh, they got this wrong with Taxi because Andy Kaufman was nice on set or something like that. So I'm guessing that maybe came from Carol Kane or something who actually liked yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, well, even Danny DeVito has been like, yeah, no, we all kind of had some issues with Andy. Um, now, the, the one more important one, which was actually the main star of Taxi here, uh, Independence Day's Judd Hirsch. Oh, yeah, getting on numbers, that Judd Hirsch. Of a screen, screen That's time. literally what I wrote. I'm like, I bet you uh, Jim Carrey couldn't get nominated, but Judd Hirsch could have gotten an Oscar nomination for his 30 yeah. seconds in this movie. <laughs> Which I actually I mean, maybe uh, you should check out Taxi because it's obviously got a. I didn't even know Tony Danza was in oh, it yeah. until I read that trivia. So, Tony Danza, it, like, that's a man. I like Tony Danza. It's a show that I've I've watched. I've never gotten like really into it, but I've watched a good amount of it since then. Um, there, there's a thing here. Oh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Uh, it, it's not really like your typical streaming service. It's more structured like traditional television. A uh, Pluto TV, that's what it's called. Oh yeah, that's uh, that one where it's like um, you got to watch ads, though, right? Like I think I had that in Canada. 
Yeah, yeah, but, well, but it's like uh, it's streaming channels, so they uh, have the taxi channel where they're literally just, oh, which oh, episode yeah, is on right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah. Then they've got like um, a Saturday Night Live channel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've yeah, seen that one. Yeah. and one Price of the channels right they have channel. is taxi. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I, I got to check out the taxi channel again because again, I haven't seen the show in years. But uh, but uh, amazing cast from this. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, Judd Hirsch got an Oscar nomination for this, I think. Uh, anyways, uh, so Andy Kaufman throughout this entire montage is performing and everything, and then all of a sudden he's like, I want to quit the show and. Uh, Paul Giamatti saying it's like you got like 40 million people watching you every single week. Like, what's wrong with this? Uh, and uh, they're talking about his stand-up comedy special that was part of his deal. So now they get to the filming of the stand-up comedy special. Now, uh, this is, I guess, one of the most famous stories about it is they, they call it the network executives are saying we got a problem or whatever down on the set uh, with the Andy Coffin special. They go down there. Andy Coffin's arguing with one of the editing guys, and they're saying they want to change something with the picture. So it's basically flickering as if there's something wrong with the the, the reception uh and he's saying he wants me to do this i can't do this the, you got uh dr kaufman here who's saying like andy we don't want people to think there's something wrong with their tv we we, we need them to be watching the tv so they do this negotiation it's like i'm just asking for 30 seconds he goes, five seconds 20 seconds 10 seconds all right deal and they settle on the 10 seconds now i went back yesterday and i know i have seen this entire special before uh i went back and watched yesterday this video flickering effect is not in it uh but it is a very famous story that this is something he tried to put in there so i can only assume that they remove this also another trivia thing is that this special because what, what we get here is that they they show it to the rest of the executives uh they get to this part where the video you know video glitch is coming up which is a joke only andy gets and even have the one guy hitting the TV. He's like, we're the number one network on TV. We can't even afford a decent TV. <laughs> I know that's part of the special, you know. Uh, George is kind of defending it, saying, like, the, the special is not all like this. Like, there's a lot of funny stuff. Uh, I, having watched the whole special, like, it is funny. And it doesn't it doesn't have this moment of the TV flickering in there. But, like, there are obvious things where they probably intend this to be a pilot for a TV show. Uh, because it's done almost like a talk show. There's even a segment on there where he's doing an interview with, I can't remember who the actress was, but it was somebody who's like a semi-famous actor who was uh, like Meryl famous at the Strait. time. <laughs> and she got an Academy Award nomination <laughs> for an unaired TV special. Uh, but uh, uh, like they they intended this to be, I guess, a TV pilot, but didn't air it. This special didn't get aired because they even say, the executives say here, it didn't air. Or yeah, we're never going to air they're, this. They're saying this that it never aired. Yeah. Now it, they filmed this in 77 when Taxi was just starting out, which was part of his contract. But then they eventually aired it in 1979, I guess. Uh, so they they sat on it for two years and I think they dropped in like a late night slot or something like that. But you can still find it on YouTube and there's some funny stuff in there. There's literally a segment where he's it's called like has been corner and he brings out some woman who tried to act and failed and then went into like a regular day job and now wants to get back into acting <laughs> it's it's actually quite funny um but uh it's it, it is kind of the way george shapiro describes it like it, it's got some of his traditional acts in there like so a lot of the the things we're seeing in this movie like the elvis stuff and things like that um but yeah so the network doesn't want to air this thing uh and as soon as they say they're not going to air it you cut to Andy busking tables at a restaurant, <laughs> uh, which this I always I always forget this part of the movie, but it's it's actually I think one of the funniest things in the movie 
is that he decides, oh, I'm just going to work, you know, busking tables or whatever. And George saying, you don't have to do this. You get the guy saying, aren't you that guy from Taxi? I get that all the time. <laughs> this guy, uh, one of those two guys, uh, if I'm not mistaken, played a very uh, random character in Third Watch for one episode. So the bald oh, of guy. Course it is. Mm. This is now bigger than Law and Order. Uh, third Watch actors that we have on oh, here. Oh, where's this? I've got to play the sound effect. Sorry, you said the thing. Here we go. <laughs> I didn't realize they used that sound effect on Third Watch too. That's, uh, that's, that's hey, under, infringement. Underrated. <laughs> uh, so George is saying, "Don't worry about this TV special. Let me shop it around, and maybe this is kind of what happened: is they like, let's wait till you you really take off, and then we'll shop it around. That's how it got on TV later. Uh, so they said, let me book you on a college tour or whatever. And this is where we get REM's um uh what what was the song title Ben uh, uh, uh Beyond the Grave. <laughs> Beyond the grave, uh, no, yeah. answers from the grave, answers, answers from the grave. From the grave. <laughs> but seriously, uh, was the grave? What does it say? Going in the grave, but just before he says grave, answers from the great, answers from the grave, and he goes answers from the grave, answers from the great beyond. Oh, so, so does, he does think, say, say answer from the grave. I think he does say grave, oh, and then says the and I, then answers from because that's great when I was beyond. listening to it last night. He just says answers from the great beyond. I'm thinking, like, oh, yeah. just the way. Oh, so if he does say answers from the grave, then so I wasn't fully off. I just was making up yeah. lyrics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, there's, um, this has nothing to do with this. So, well, maybe it does have something to do with this because there's a song later on. But uh, there was a guy that my mom used to date uh, very briefly. <laughs> Michael Stein. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and, and actually, the, the, the band that, he wasn't in the band. That's not where I'm going with this. <laughs> Think of this. He dated but, all of R.E.M. at once. <laughs> I, I'm going to I'm gonna have a story involving this band later on. But there's a band, a Canadian band called Moist, and they have a song called Moist. Silver. <laughs> uh, but the song Silver, the chorus literally goes, uh, we are silver. We are silver. And this guy would literally sing the song, we will survive. And I'm like, what are you singing? <laughs> He's like, we will survive. I'm like, it's we are silver. <laughs> and he goes, I thought we will survive. I'm like, the song's literally called Silver. And he's showing the video on TV and the title comes up Silver by Moist. So like, you didn't think that that might be the word he was using and not survive? Uh, well, it's like I mentioned you're, Tony you're Danza, weird. like how everybody thinks Tiny Dancer by Elton John was holding me close yeah. to Tony Danza. And when I saw Elton John last year, there was literally somebody wearing a t-shirt that just said Tony Danza. That's all it said. And I'm like, I like I, that I shirt. Get, I know I mentioned it before, like King of the Hill. To me, the, the hardest I've ever laughed at King of the Hill, and maybe harder than I've ever laughed at anything on you laughed at Simpsons. King of the Hill. Huh. Yes, uh, I but, laughed but, like, King of the Hill. That was a, that was a cheap joke, Ben there's, Waterworth. <laughs> there's one part in King of the Hill where Hank Hill's uh, there's like a, a garage band next door that's being disruptive, and he's all right. I know you guys are playing your music, uh, and they just start recording his voice and playing it back through like their their uh, their their keyboard, their synthesizer, or whatever. Like, oh, ha ha, that's very funny. I have a sense of humor. I laugh at Tony Danza. And just him saying, I laugh at Tony Danza as being the description of a sense of humor. Like still to this day, I will watch just that one clip of I laugh at Tony Danza. I even had a coworker I literally sent that clip to. <laughs> just, a, just a random clip. I laugh at Tony Danza. That's the answer if anything's funny. I laugh at Tony Danza. I laugh at Tony Danza. Oh, that's funny. Uh, but uh, anyways, yeah, so um, yeah, We Will Survive, uh, <laughs> Answers from the Grave by R.E.M. But anyways, this this R.E.M. song, this was written, this is one written for the movie. And again, a shame it didn't get nominated for an Oscar, because I would honestly say, and, and like R.E.M., like I know every song they've ever recorded front and back, and I would rank this probably in the top five best R.E.M. songs ever. Like I, I would pick The Great Beyond over Man on the Moon, and Man on the Moon was the song that kind of, the first R.E.M. song I think I ever heard, or I might have heard, like, it's the end of the world as we know it before that. But, like, the song's amazing. Like, th you said you were listening to it last night. Were you listening to it only because of the movie, or were you already no, a fan of it? 
I I mean, I REM's just a band. Like, I've never can say I dislike REM. They're just like, it's a band where you start listening. Like, oh, yeah, like, I'd, I'd buy their greatest hits and I'd, I'd like all yeah. the songs. But would I go Bad back? Bad Day was on their greatest hits. Well, it was the go. song from it. Would I, would I go back and listen to all of their stuff? Probably not. Like, but it's, it's more of a case of just like, like, because I think Man in the Moon came on. I'm like, I was singing it. And then um, Answers from the Grave came on. And then I'm just like, oh, I really like that song. And I think I shazammed it. I'm like, I don't think I've got this song. And I see it on my phone, The Great Beyond. So I type it in my iTunes. I'm like, oh, I don't have it. So then I just type in REM. I'm like, oh, what's this Answers from the Grave song? I'm like, wait, this is the song that I just shazammed. <laughs> um, so I changed the title. But then, yeah, so like last night I'm just like listening to that. I'm listening to Bad Day. Uh, I'm listening to... Um, that's me in the corner. That's losing my religion. Oh, yeah. Losing my religion, um, yeah. And then again, but then like um, Everybody Hurts comes on and I'm like, uh, like it's a good song, don't get me wrong, but then you just get yeah. to a point where it's like it's either too sad or it's been parodied too much yeah. that you just can't take, like it's in what, uh, Night at the Roxbury, things like that. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, like I just I just listened to like five R.E.M. songs in a row. I'm like, oh, I got my R.E.M. fixed back to, back to Madonna. So, yeah. I'll, I'll give two REM plugs for you for songs to listen to. Again, they're the, the later songs they did. One from the album Accelerate, which I just got. Uh, it's on a, a half marathon playlist I'm doing tomorrow. It's called Supernatural Super Serious. Uh, and then the other one, which was from the last time they ever recorded, is called Discoverer. Discoverer, again, right up there with Great Beyond, one of the best songs they've ever had. Um, but uh, yes, I love REM. I will do the REM podcast. Which, by the way, there is an REM podcast that just started this week. No. Uh, You'll be a it's guest not available on Google. It's not available on Google Podcasts. Ah, oh, bastards. We're available on Google Podcasts. We're, like, we're available everywhere and no one listens to us. Yeah, exactly. So when you say it's an uh, REM podcast, so is it like Michael Stipe just going like, hi, I was in no. REM? It's, it's, uh, actually, how I found this podcast, um, the the Duel of the Fates dramatization podcast they did, they got all these voice actors. And one of the guys, they did like an after show. And one of the guys, I don't even know what role he played, but they interviewed him and he said, oh yeah, I do this Tragically Hip podcast, which... I'm like, oh, this guy's Canadian. That's the first thing I think of. And then this tragically podcast he did was actually really interesting because they not only cover all the albums, but then they did a second season where they brought on two guys who weren't from Canada, literally never heard the band before, and then covered all the albums again. So this same guy is now doing an REM podcast where they're going to be doing like, I don't know if it's going to be every song or whatever, but I was so excited about this weekend and it wasn't even on Google Podcasts. So pick your game up. I, I like, I, I'm not disparaging the world of REM podcasts or anything. I just, I just, I didn't realize there was such thing as like a podcast on bands and songs like i mean oh, yeah. you know that's that's interesting i've got to find my madonna fix but i always <laughs> i used to always get michael stipe mixed up with billy corgan and i think just because they were both bald and bald. famous in the 90s <laughs> actually you know what they, they were also both very tight with courtney love who's in this movie well uh, you know both may or may not have done something with courtney love too well uh, i mean come on every, i've done one stuff of with those courtney love that's michael not hard stipe, <laughs> well i don't know if you know the trivia that michael stipe apparently had at some point had sex with kurt cobain I don't know. This is it's, it's a rumor. This is like David yeah. Bowie, Mick Jagger. What was the other one you told me? What's his face from um, John Glover and Freddie Mercury? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? I mean, that's a. I need to know more about that. I didn't know that yeah. either. Did things like that, but good for them. <laughs> well, I mean, just not to make this the REM podcast, but did they both think it was Courtney Love and they woke up the next morning going, "You're Michael <laughs> Stipe, you're Kurt Cobain." <laughs> it's hard to tell the difference. We're having a threesome, uh, weren't we? No. Where's Courtney? <laughs> <laughs> You're Billy Corgan. Like, Wait, you guys didn't wait for me. <laughs> that was, was just over there a with dream. Billy. <laughs> and then you got Kurt Cobain saying, "I thought this was Billy Corgan, Michael Stipe. <laughs> I don't even like Aria." <laughs> you You're not a, you're not a bullet with butterfly wings. <laughs> 
Anyways, uh, REM's involvement in this movie, I guess it was a big deal because uh, at the time that uh, like they did this movie, not only did they record a new song for the soundtrack, the movie's named after their other songs. They got two songs in there, but the REM does the score for this movie. So even the orchestral mm. music is composed by REM. Uh, and at the, the point when this movie came out, I think they were, they had just set the record for like the, the highest paid contract in like recording music history, which I think they had broken Michael Jackson and Janet Jackson's record. It was something like $80 million. And now of course that's split among four guys, but they essentially were the highest paid music act in the world. And they're doing a movie just because I would love to actually know the story about like, what is their fandom of Andy Kaufman, where they decided to write a song about Andy Kaufman, score a movie about Andy Kaufman, uh, and basically lend their song to a movie about Andy Kaufman. But uh, anyways, enough about R.E.M. now. Um, so yeah, he's doing his college college tour here. Which Colin's is this- audition to be on the R.E.M. play. He gets invited on uh, Spy Hard and all these kind of things. Were you on Spy Hard? But- is that the one you were on? No, it was another uh, Mission Impossible podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which has now been cancelled, like Taxi. I wonder why. Uh, Colin went on it. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so th- this is the scene when, when I'm trying to describe to Jamie, who had never seen this movie and sadly couldn't watch it with me, when I'm trying to describe what Andy Kaufman's comedy was like, this is the the thing I, <laughs> this is my go-to. So he's got a gig where this is where he's famous. People are paying to see Andy Kaufman and he goes out there and he's all excited. We're going to be doing songs and we're going to be doing this. And then the crowd's just saying, do Lotka, do Lotka. They just want to hear his character from Taxi because that's who he's famous for. He gets impatient. He goes backstage. Paul Giamatti saying, don't do it, don't do it. He's sitting on a book. He says, no, I'm going to do it. He goes out there, put on this very distinguished coat, does a British accent. I'm really British, and I'm going to read you the greatest novel ever written, The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald or whatever, uh, which I I'm, I shouldn't even ask this, but have you ever read The Great Gatsby? Just, you know the answer. Move on. <laughs> Amazing book. Um, I've ne- I've actually never seen the movie all the way through. I or, no, I did see the movie, but it, I kind of forgot. How have we not it. done that? Tobey Maguire, that was like the last thing he did before he got back yeah. into Spider-Man. He took a big break after The Great Gatsby. Poor Toby. Baz Luhrmann month. Uh, we got just enough movies left to do. I'd do more on um, Rouge. I watched that last year. Great movie. <laughs> but uh, so he starts reading the book. And at first the audience is laughing. And then they start getting impatient. So he's like, all right, all right. You don't want me to read the book. Well, would you like me to play a phonograph record? <laughs> that like, was probably yes, the yeah. bit most I laughed in this movie. When he started <laughs> playing and he starts yeah. playing him reading the book. <laughs> Literally plays the record and is picking up where he left off on the book. People booing and everything. It cuts forward to later. Now, I read a trivia bit that Ben Stiller is one of the people in the crowd. I was going to say I, that. Yeah, I can't see him either. I can't even find him. No, but yeah. of course, when it starts, you got like hundreds of people there. So who knows? Uh, he literally <laughs> reads the entire book. I don't know if this was real, but he reads the entire book. I think it to the was. Where I like, think in Jim and Andy, they mentioned that this was like a real thing. <laughs> he actually thing. did this? Yeah. Like four people left in the crowd. And you got one guy. It's like, yeah, bravo. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you have George uh, uh, basically calling them out on this. And I love that even Bob, who was saying, no, no, you can't do this. The, the way that... Uh, um, George is saying, you guys, you can't be doing stuff like this. We're trying to actually, you know, accomplish a goal here and get your exposure. I was reading the greatest American novel ever written and even have apology music. Yes, classic in literature. <laughs> He's getting very <laughs> animated about it. Uh, so he uh, tells him that, uh, or I guess uh, he tells George, Danny DeVito tells Paul Giamatti. It's easier this way. This yes. is why we never use character names. Exactly. Danny tells Paul. <laughs> Danny and uh, Paul. It's, it's your job to take the pressure off of him. So I need you to, to like, you know, uh, help him to loosen up or whatever. So he takes him to a brothel. Uh, Where people pay and, their sex, Colin. Yeah, well, I, I learned that from Man on the Moon. 
I learned that from life experience. I honestly would probably when I saw this movie, I I was thinking it's a massage parlor. <laughs> you know, I guess these places are uh, until uh, when Andy's saying, oh, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. You're not going to hurt their feelings. They're professionals. Uh, so he picks two girls, both of them or whatever. Uh, and I'm sorry, this is my friend's first time with a prostitute. And I guarantee when he said prostitute there, that's what I'm like, that's what this place is? I thought it was a massage parlor. Uh, and I love this lady. It's like, what are you talking about? Andy's one of our best customers. He's in here every weekend. And Paul Giamatti just breaks out laughing here. You get him jumping all over with these uh, prostitutes here. Uh, and then he uh, offers... Uh, what the? How would you girls like to earn three hundred dollars to destroy a TV show? Or oh, I also love that the uh, <laughs> the lady there is like, "Are you serious, Andy?" It's like, "No, not always, Andy. Sometimes he comes in, he's got an accent. Sometimes he comes <laughs> on, he's named Tony, and he's wearing a wig and a mustache." Uh, but he offers the prostitute three hundred dollars to destroy a TV show. So this is his guest spot. One of the other conditions he had for guest appearances to Tony Clifton on Taxi, uh, which George has sold to the network. You're getting two Andys for the price of one. He comes on. He's being disruptive. Uh, everybody in the cast is just looking like uh, bored. They they don't want to be part of this. They're upset. You got the 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 guy, the producer on the show or whatever, who's saying, "I can't do this. This guy's horrible. We're gonna have to fire Andy, or you're gonna, we're gonna have to tell Andy this isn't gonna work." He goes, "Oh well, Andy's not gonna be happy." And this guy's like, "Yeah, okay, whatever. I know that's Andy." Okay, just so you're aware, that's not Andy. So they stage this whole thing where they call Andy up in San Francisco or whatever, who's performing a gig. We're gonna have to let Tony go. What's wrong? He's just a terrible actor or whatever. Oh, I'm very sorry to hear that. Um, so you get to the scene where he fires him. Uh, and this guy's still believing that this is Andy Kaufman, which it technically is at this point, uh, where he, he's saying, uh, I don't know who Andy Kaufman is. And Tony Clifton, I don't know Andy Kaufman. Well, I'm telling you, I know who Andy Kaufman is. And I know that uh, Tony Clifton's not going to be, you're fired or whatever. Uh, so he ends up having to call security. He gets scored. Now, this is, I guess, where it really started to take off, like Andy Kaufman, the controversial comic, all this weird style of public performance he did, uh, because he's got Paul Giamatti taking pictures and selling this to the media, uh, where it's now, oh, he got fired. Uh, so suddenly, this actually works, and Danny DeVito's getting calls. I, we would like to book Andy Kaufman as this Tony Clifton character. He goes, oh, well, just so you're aware... You're not going to be getting Andy Kaufman. You're getting Tony Clifton. Yeah, yeah, whatever. The kids love him. Just call him. Now, this is where I'm going to blow your mind here. So this performance where they think they're getting Andy Kaufman, but they get Tony Clifton. I don't know if you were watching during that opening sequence. That That's it. The movie's over where it rolls the credits. Mm. Did you notice another? You didn't notice the other 24 actors name in there? Oh, Rico Kaper? Aylesworth? A what? No, Rico. Yeah. So I could not spot her in this movie. And I know this isn't the first time where I saw her name in the credits. And I'm like, I, there's another 24 actor in here. I'm like, I can't spot her. Now I got lucky because I, I was you did, trying you to find this kids. before we recorded. I did. Yes. Well, you're about to get lucky too. I think. Um. But at least you'll have a shot now. Uh. But, oh, I see uh, the name Mimi. Yeah. So I tried googling this. Who is Mimi? I tried looking up images. Couldn't find it. Then I, I'm like, okay, this is cast in order of appearance. So I basically singled it out. I'm like, this is right after the producer who fires him and right before the, or right after the guy who books him because the, the names in the credits before Rika Ellsworth is booking agent or whatever and then conductor I'm like she's in this scene coming up now I am going to send you a screenshot because I, I watched this scene three times not because of what you're about to see but I watched this scene three times just to find where Rika Ellsworth Michelle Dessler for 24 was in this movie and I finally found her and you are welcome is all I'll say <laughs> Um, I see one of the nude girls. Yes, 
What? Yeah, we get Michelle Dessler with little things on her nipples dancing right oh, next to Jim Carrey. Oh, I thought Carey she was here. one of the prostitutes. Oh. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, that was my first thought. That was, so the first place I went was, I bet you she's in the prostitute oh, scene, but no. She's wow. Not. Okay. Uh, Starry nipple uh, Michelle. <laughs> but like you could, like that's that's the only, there's several shots where I'm like, I think that's her. It has to be this scene. It has to be literally in this one sequence here. And she's the only girl, but that is 100% her. So why she got a name Mimi when other actors who actually have lines in this movie are like booking agent and producer who fires Andy. Well, maybe it was because she had a SAG card and the other girls didn't. I don't know. Maybe it's also she could have had a like there could be a deleted, deleted scene, scene where like she talked yeah. and, and didn't. Or maybe they were like, hey, you're 24's Rayco Owlsworth. Um, you'll be famous one day. So I'm trying to, I'm watching the scene now. I'm trying to see her. Yeah. Well, uh, uh, do you see the screenshot I sent you? Yeah, no, I did. I'm just, I'm trying to see her moving, uh, on the screen. (laughs) You want to see the jiggle in other words. (laughs) Uh, I'm thinking she, she thought she was looking for Tony Almeida and ended up with Tony Clifton. Um, he wasn't expecting to be there. Uh, Good job. But like this this i don't know how many times i've watched these credits seen her name and like she's not in this movie or it must be because sometimes that does happen there's a deleted scene but somebody still gets the credit because maybe they deleted it too late well it's like when Um, we did um what was she and you've got mail right like she's only really in the background yeah yeah and i mentioned i recently watched uh the harrison ford very bad harrison ford movie random hearts which has several 24 actors including her in it uh she actually has a line in that one but uh there we go ben's turning his head sideways i mean it's not not her. Like, it's not definitely like that's definitely not her. But, I mean, she's also very heavily it's, made up. Yeah. It, the other girl, like, again, I watched the scene enough times. She doesn't match any of the girls. This is her. And it, based on the fact that she's right after the booking agent, right before the conductor, she basically has to be one of these girls here. So that's her. Uh, we'll get her on the show to ask her about it. Um, <laughs> nice nipples, Rayco. Uh, <laughs> she care to come on and talk about it. <laughs> yep. Uh, anyways, so this is the, the Tony Clifton audience thinks they're getting Andy Kaufman now because of the whole media circus. Uh, he, I love the, the way they just introduce us. They don't know how I'm coming on the stage. It's just him standing there silently. Shut up! <laughs> Screaming at the audience. That's I the, need silence. I am an artiste. The, the other one that I forgot to mention, I love it when you first get him and he's like, oh, he, he's asking everybody to extingu- extinguish their cigarettes because, <laughs> you know, he, he, he needs to perform. He walks out of stage smoking. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love the Tony Clifton character. Like, he's so obnoxious. I would pay to see this in person. It's like, did you, uh, do you know, you, you knew who Dame Edna was, right? Who Barry Humphrey, Barry Humphrey oh, is. Yeah. So, but did you ever see when he did um, his other, was it Les Patterson character where he, it was like no. this, so like it was this kind of like really overweight Australian <laughs> bloke with like horrible teeth who just was just really inappropriate. He'd always be drunk and it's kind of just like, it's just, yeah, completely obnoxiously over the top. But like I used to always love Barry Humphreys doing Les Patterson more than Dame Edna. Um, so the end of the scene is that Tony Clifton's performing. The audience is into it, even though it's a bad act because they think it's Andy Kaufman. And then all of a sudden, Andy Kaufman comes to stage. They go crazy. He starts drumming. Tony Clifton gets upset with him, picks a fight with him, <laughs> kicks him off the stage, and then the audience boos, and they continue to perform the rest of the show as Tony Clifton, now with the audience thinking they've been cheated. Uh, George, of course, is upset with him again and basically says, you're doing an act that's only funny to two people or whatever. 
Uh, and Andy just says, I always need to be one step ahead of the audience, which is really what his game plan is. He just, he wants to be fooling people. Uh, the, I'll, I'll, I'll do the wrestling bit separately. So we'll just talk about this section here. Just saying, um, before I forget that, uh, second time Paul Giamatti and Jim Carrey are in a movie together in the space of a year. Cause of course, Paul Giamatti's in the Truman show, if you remember. So, uh, I mean, they never directly share scenes oh, together, yeah, yeah. but, uh, yeah, yeah. He's the, the guy who refuses to cut the feed. Yeah. He's like up in the moon with, uh, Ed Harris. <laughs> so, um, man in the moon, G- Paul Giamatti was man. <laughs> yeah. In the- he was the man on the moon. He was man in the moon, uh, <laughs> in that. So, um, yeah, but no, I think, I, I mean, I kind of interjected a lot with things that said already, so I don't have a whole lot to add. But yeah, I read that Ben Stiller bit too, and I've kind of just, I'm looking, looking, because Ben Stiller directed Jim Carrey in The Cable Guy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, I always forget that, that like Ben Stiller directed that movie. Uh, I, I love the fact that, yeah, like Andy Kaufman went and worked, like whether this is true or not, just like went and worked. And again, part of the, aren't you Andy Kaufman? Oh, I get that a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, the whole like reading the great Gatsby thing is just fucking hilarious. <laughs> just when he, when he plays the record of him reading it still, I'm like, that's brilliant. That is so funny. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, you get to see boobs in this movie. What's not to like, uh, <laughs> they're the things on the chest when the women don't have a shirt on Colin. <laughs> Just for, oh, I've still got I've still got the freeze frame on my computer right now. Oh, I'm just for next time show. Jamie <laughs> removes her shirt. Like, oh, that's oh. what they are. <laughs> Where's the silver stars? I've, Rico that, had those. Is that what you were doing with our kids? That 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 they've got milk in them. What? What? Why do we oh, buy okay, no, milk no. then? There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we could save like hundreds of dollars a year. It's like Colin, <laughs> I've got to be pregnant for it. Well, let's get pregnant. Let's save money. Uh, oh, never again. <laughs> and you know why Colin doesn't want to, like, get pregnant? It's not because of the kids. He actually secretly loves his kids. This whole, like, them screaming and running around is an act. He he tells them. He's like, kids, you've got to be little shits. Make mummy not like you. So then even <laughs> Jamie's like, oh, I never want to have kids again. It's like, yes, I don't have to have sex again. Like, Jamie goes That's out m- and the kids are, like, reading, hello, father, I'm going to read The Great Gatsby with you. <laughs> <laughs> Pleasantly behaved children. Oh. See, that's my Andy Kaufman act. I will take this to the grave. Exactly. <laughs> Mummy's coming home. Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody pick up a knife. <laughs> ah, Casper's gone crazy. One of the kids is thrown up everywhere. Uh, they're very good actors. They're going to win Oscars one day. Um, but I think, like, it was the thing with the Jim and Andy documentary was unique is the way that sort of, like, Jim Carrey mentions it, like, sort of Andy came to him. So that's why he kind of stayed in character. And I just love like watching everybody on set. They're like, even they're like getting frustrated, but even they're going like, Oh, we don't know what we have to do. Do, do you remember the whole playboy mansion, Hugh Hefner story though? That, no. um, so apparently during the filming of this, Hugh Hefner invited Jim Carrey to the playboy mansion. And, uh, Jim Carrey was like, Oh, well like, you know, like his representative basically was like, Oh, Jim's very involved in a role right now. Like he's very like uh, into this character. So uh, he may come like dressed as his character. So a person dressed as Tony Clifton shows up to the Playboy Mansion and everyone's like, oh, it's Jim Carrey. Like he's just, he's just in character. So you've even got like Andy Dick on camera going like, 
is that Jim Carrey? That's that's, that's genius. So you oh, got like, yeah, no, I do remember that now. Yeah. yeah and you got like Hugh Hefner getting photos with everyone. They think, and then Jim Carrey shows up. And like, hi, I'm Jim Carrey. How you go? Everyone's like, who's this guy? And then you've got like Hugh Hefner like shoving the camera out of the way and like kicking this guy out of the Playboy Mansion. And like they even like played this as the joke, like even off the off camera, basically that even this. And I think that was kind of like the only time that Jim Carrey was Jim Carrey in that whole period when he was like filming this movie. But uh, it was actually really sweet, like you had Andy Kaufman's like real life family, like basically, you know, almost treating him like he was him. And then he told the story about Andy Kaufman apparently had a child out of wedlock and basically like put the kid up for adoption and she never met Andy Kaufman. And then basically she met Jim Carrey and they like Jim Carrey's like in this documentary, like basically in tears telling this story about how he shared this moment with Andy Kaufman's real life daughter and almost as Andy Kaufman. So yeah, mm-hmm. it was it was again a lot deeper than I was thinking it was going to be, but it was it was pretty good. And I've always respected about about Jim Carrey because he's always seemed like a very lonely man, and yeah. kind of you know I guess that's why I connect with Jim Carrey a lot more. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I don't have a whole lot more to add on everything because I I kept interrupting you. So I I'll mostly be able to finish I think the rest of the movie here at this Do point. This this is now the wrestling sequence here. So. Uh, him and Bob are watching wrestling on TV. He's saying how much he wants to be a bad guy wrestler. Says, yeah, but you can't be in the ring with guys like this. Like, these guys are huge. They'll kill you. He's like, what if I picked on someone smaller than me? Uh, And then you cut to him on the Merv Griffin show saying women could do a lot of things better than men, like cooking and peeling potatoes. Shouldn't laugh at that. Shouldn't laugh. 2024, that's not funny anymore. (laughs) Uh, But he, he offers $500 to any woman who could pin him. Uh, and of course, Paul Giamatti's a referee here, and Courtney Love comes out to challenge him. Now, uh, I'll tell my Courtney Love story here. Uh, so, um, same year this movie came out, nineteen ninety nine, it would have been. There was um, uh, it was it's like a festival they used to do. It was like tour across the country with like a whole bunch of bands. So all day you'd have like a uh, whole uh, bunch you know. of bands. Courtney all Love. What? Oh, there we go. There we go. Do yes. you get it? Because she was in I the band Hall. <laughs> Well, and that's who was there. They were the headliners this year. And I was never that into Hole. Uh, my sister was <laughs> a huge not. fan. <laughs> I love Hole. It's great. <laughs> but but my All sister was a, a huge fan of uh, Hole and Courtney Love. And uh, <laughs> I missed <laughs> oh. Anyways, <laughs> um, the band Moist was like the second What's headliner that? on this video. <laughs> Um, let me see. Was there anybody Ladies else? Did, moist big, who else was on a big wreck? Silver chair. Um, wide mouth Mason. Um, Silver chair. Australia's own. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were on that. Uh, that I have same a moist day, tall I saw on a silver chair. chair. <laughs> I used to get the silver chair uh, known overseas. They're huge here, obviously. Yeah. Oh, they were very big here at the time. And actually, there was another Canadian band called the Matthew Good Band that was on uh, that same bill and. Uh, uh, and you would have heard one Matthew Goodband song because the only Canadian song they played in the Canadian movie Blackberry was a Matthew Goodband song called Hello Time Bomb. But and I uh, don't know if I remember uh, the, uh, the the soundtrack. You wouldn't remember that. the song, but you would have heard that right. that you would have heard that song. Uh, the Matthew Goodband comes out, who at this point were like the biggest band in Canada, at least in, in that year. And they basically tell the story about how, yeah, we went out drinking with the guys from Silverchair last night and... Uh, yeah, we definitely can't keep up with them. Uh, and the Matthew Goodband put on one of the worst performances I've ever seen live in a concert to the point where I've never seen the Matthew Goodband live since. And I love the Matthew Goodband. But uh, uh, anyways, Moist <laughs> were like the second to headliners. And basically the crowd is going crazy for them. 
Hole are the headliners. Crowd not quite as into them. I don't know whether it was just Hole wasn't as big. Hole wasn't as good live. Not a big hole. Moist. <laughs> <laughs> Moist is literally one of these bands where it's like one of the greatest live performances you'll ever seen. But uh, uh, my brother and I spent the entire time. We were just waiting for our sister who went right up to the front to see Courtney Love and Hole. Uh, <laughs> and everyone's seen courtney loves hole let's be honest well that's what the story is going because courtney love we're we're literally in the back just waiting because like the the buses don't come you know until the concert's over we're just waiting for our sister to be done we spent hole's entire set kicking empty water bottles that are littering the ground into the crowd so they're hitting people's backs and then as they hit people's backs and they turn around we would be just like yeah all right because <laughs> if we're into hole wow just to be obnoxious jerks uh but Courtney Love spends the entire set saying, hey, if you guys are really good, I might show you my boobs. Um, <laughs> and no joke, time. no joke, the entire time she's doing this, three or four times throughout the set, she's saying, if you guys are lucky, I'll show you my boobs. Come on, you got to get really into it. The crowd's like dead side. You can just see people like, oh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to see that. We saw them on David Letterman. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Like nobody wanted to see this. And at the end of the show, she lifts up her shirt and flashes the crowd. I wasn't close enough, but that could have been my first nude experience. It still is. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, Courtney Love. <laughs> that was the first time I saw nude boobs. She randomly came to Hobart and performed a show like at one point when I was living there. And it was all like, oh, Courtney Love. And it, of course it gets billed as Kurt Cobain's ex is coming to Hobart. <laughs> it's like, well, she has a career outside of sleeping with Kurt Cobain, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and my sister, I think she went and saw it because like my sister's obsessed with the Smashing Pumpkins. So she always liked Courtney Love. I, I'll say just quickly, like, I don't know if I've really seen Courtney Love in anything outside of the tabloids. Um, but she can act. She's pretty good. Yeah. Well, and it was weird because um, the the movie Milos Forman did before this, The People versus Larry Flint, which is a movie about, <laughs> uh, I guess, Porn, the, the right? dirtier, the, well, yeah, the, the dirtier Hugh Hefner. Uh, yeah. I can't remember what the guy's name is now. Hustler. The hustler what where you get to see. You, hustler, get, yeah. you get to see holes. You get to see moist holes. Because I loved Woody Harrelson, I saw that movie. And Courtney Love, that was like her acting debut is, oh, they cast Courtney Love in a movie and it kind of made sense because it was a movie about porn or whatever. <laughs> but uh, And I remember even in that movie being like, Courtney Love's not a bad actress. And I don't know why she didn't do a lot more acting after that because she goes from People vs. Larry Flint, this movie, she's got an Academy Award, two-time Academy Award winning director who apparently loves her and maybe because she's always seen her boobs uh, and, and wants to cast her and everything. Why didn't she continue acting? Because I'll be honest, like, I, and this isn't a knock against Hold, they're not terrible, but like, She's not a bad actress. She did two movies after this and then just stopped acting. Like, why? She's not terrible. She apparently was in Sid and Nancy with Gary Oldman. So there you go. Um, yeah, I don't know either. Like, because, I mean, if you didn't know that this was Courtney Love, we're just like, oh, cool. It's just a, you know, it's a, an actress. Yeah. She's good. But no, she she's really good. So it surprised me that she didn't really go on much to much more acting. So she comes out. She wrestles with Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman cheats. He pins her. She gets upset. Uh, she doesn't get the $500 or whatever, but backstage, uh, the producers are saying, I love this, the, the 70s prize here. Here's your autograph picture of her <laughs> Griffin. Here's your complimentary jar of turtle wax. Like, I don't want turtle wax. Uh, well, everybody gets turtle wax. Uh, and uh, what was the third thing they had here? Uh, um, oh, and here's your gift certificate for a red lobster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, then she meets Andy Kaufman. Now he's just being himself and he's, I, I don't know, he's trying to pick her up at this point. And she, she's like, you know, what was wrong with you? And he's like, oh, I hope you didn't take offense to that. That was just me playing a character or whatever, uh, which he's later going to ask her out. Uh, they just randomly appear at a movie together. Uh, uh, 
Danny DeVito is still upset about uh, this uh, or saying they got 2,000 pieces of hate mail and Merv Griffin does not get hate <laughs> mail. Uh, <laughs> and he, he's basically surrounded. The, the audience doesn't realize this is a parody. Like you haven't given them any indication that this is a parody. Uh, and he, here he has this line where he's like, I'm going to do it again and again and again and again. And here we get the wrestling montage uh, where he's doing all these sexist, chauvinistic things, rallying the crowd up, beating up all these women. Uh, and, and this must have been like a huge deal at the time, um, which, I mean, this is before WWF and everything. But, I mean, of course, it ends up becoming on David Letterman and everything. And I don't know how much of his time was spent on this versus being on Taxi. But I would have loved to have seen, like, did this hurt Taxi's ratings or whatever? Because <laughs> yeah, the, the 70s, you can bag at women back then. Well, I mean, this is long before people are clued in that like wrestling's kind of scripted. I mean, people kind of maybe suspected, but he's keeping what? up wrestling's these appearances. <laughs> but, but I mean, even in the nineties, like as we're getting introduced to Jerry Lawler here, uh, where, um, yeah, he, he comes out even in the nineties, that's why there was still that thing about, is this fight between Jim Carrey and Jerry Lawler real or is it scripted? Because like people still were sort of unsure what some of it is real. Some of it isn't, you know? Uh, so he ends up proposing to uh, Courtney Love on the first date uh, by saying, we'll go to Memphis and I'll uh, say that the next woman who can beat me will get to marry me and then you'll actually get to beat me. Um, and she says, why Memphis? Because that's like the, the the capital of wrestling, whatever. So they do this act. Any woman, I will, I will actually let her marry me. Courtney Love comes out. Now this is part of the script. Jerry Lawler shows up. He calls out and says, that's Andy Kaufman's girlfriend. Uh, I'm tired of you insulting people from the South. I'm tired of you insulting... Uh, women, I'm going to challenge you or whatever. They pick this fight. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, oh yeah, they, they, no, sorry. First he brings out Foxy Jackson. <laughs> I'm going to make you wrestle Foxy Jackson. <laughs> so a big tough woman Beyonce comes out. Beyonce gold member, Foxy Cleopatra. <laughs> Foxy Cleopatra. Um, so Lawler challenges him. Uh, Courtney Love's upset with him because she didn't realize this was all staged. Um, they have, uh, um, the, the attempt to get uh, people back on his side because people are taking this too far. Like, I I don't know. The timeline is all over the place. So maybe this was after Taxi was off the air. Who knows? But, because, uh, you know, it actually might have been because I think Taxi ran till what, 82 or something? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so, so this probably was after Taxi was done because uh, I know that um, the... Um, uh, what do you call it? The, uh, the, the, the incident, the Friday's incident, I think was, uh, after that, uh, um, but, but definitely the, uh, the one 900 number that we're going to get coming up was in 1982. Uh, cause I did look up the clip of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so they book him on the show Fridays, which is, I guess, like a rival show to Saturday Night Live, uh, that was like a late night sketch comedy show. Uh, now this one has been changed quite a bit, but it is very similar because I watched the clip of this the other day too. Uh, so he's on the show Fridays. Even if his parents are excited, they're watching it late at night. Uh, and he gets sold on because he says, it's this show is not Saturday Night Live, but it's live television. So he's alive, really. Uh, now, the guy who's playing the producer of the show here, who's arguing with Andy before Andy, he's saying, I don't want to do this. I don't like doing drug humor. I don't like endorsing this. This is in the script. You have creative control, but we said to you, Dave. So this is the real Bob's movie. This is the mm. real Paul Giamatti here. Uh, and... He goes out, he does this skit, which everybody's supposed to be stoned in the skit. Everybody else performing it, and he's drawing a blank or whatever. Now, th this is where we get our famous cameos here. So we got Caroline Ray mm. uh, from Sabrina, uh, the, Sabrina Tina. the Teenage yeah. Witch. 
uh, or Hollywood Squares, whatever you actually could tolerate back in the day. I used to day. watch Sabrina Teenage Witch when I was a kid. I used to like it. I, I see. I knew her from Hollywood Squares <laughs> instead of because I couldn't get into Sabrina the Teenage Witch. I was, uh, I, I was not now, or am I? Was I then into teenagers? Uh, like Ben is. Uh, teenage girls. <laughs> but back when I watched Sabrina Teenage Witch, she was an older woman, Melissa Joan Hart. So. Oh, true. Yeah, it know. was okay back in the day. Yep. That's uh, why so I can anyway, say I, I, I had a crush on Michelle Trachtenberg in Harriet the Spy because, again, she was like two years older than me when Harriet the Spy came out. So I can say that. So we've also got uh, Norm MacDonald playing. Which, yeah, I when you look him. at the real clip, yeah, when you look at the real clip, it was Michael Richards who was a cast oh, wow. member on Fridays, who is the real guy who got in this incident uh, with, you know, Andy Kaufman or whatever, who obviously would have had to have been in on it, but you got Norm Macdonald playing Michael Richards here, I guess. And then the third person, who is it? Mary Lynn Redskip, Chloe! Yes! There she is. Our second 24 actor in this movie, uh, which I would have had no clue she was after it, but uh, I don't know why, every, some of these things, every single time I watch the movie, I'm like, Chloe's in this. Like it, since 24 has come out, I, I always get caught off guard because I forget she's in this. She's got like one or two lines or whatever. But uh, this incident uh, comes up because Andy goes off script and won't do anything. Uh, Norm MacDonald, a.k.a. Michael Richards, uh, picks up cue cards offset, slaps it down in front of him. This starts a fight. Uh, they go to commercial. Uh, the producer, Dr. Coffin, from whatever dies, comes on and basically describes the audience. This is all a staged incident. And when this is over, the audience, oh, I get it. It's funny now. And when we come back from commercial, Andy's going to tell everybody it was a stage incident because we don't want them to worry at home. Uh, so he comes back and he goes, yes, so they wanted me to tell you that this was all stage, but it wasn't. It was real. And he picks a fight and you get a fist fight between him and the real Bob Zamuda here. Uh, now, the real clip of this was was different in a couple of ways. One, uh, Andy what didn't so much just say, I don't want to do this humor. He just didn't say anything, just kept there giggling as if he forgot his line. And then when Michael Richards puts the cue cards on, the audience is laughing the entire time. So I think they kind of knew that this was real. Uh, it wasn't after the commercial break. It was actually the next week they came back. And the producer of the show said, so this happened last week. We've gotten a lot of interest. It was experimental comedy we're doing. We're doing this to push the envelope on audience knowing what's real and what isn't. But this will hurt Andy Kaufman's career. You know, We don't want him to develop bad reputation. So we're going to have him come out and him explain it. And he comes out and he tries to, yes, so this was a planned incident. And and then he just sort of goes off and says, I'm sorry. I just, I thought it was funny, right? Uh, so Andy, I don't, and that was also probably part of the gig, but they dragged this out for an entire week and, and basically made it like a cliffhanger to in the next week. And Andy Kaufman will be back to explain it. And it wasn't like him picking a fight. It was him basically the next week saying, oh, I thought it would be funny to do this. And nobody else knew. I guess the real story is this is like a couple of people knew, but like not even all the actors on stage mm. knew what was actually going on on this incident here. Um, they uh, immediately go after this to the Jerry Lawler fight, uh, which he's in the ring, getting the crowd all riled up. Like, this is a bar of soap. You use it to wash yourself. This is toilet paper. Uh I love when they, they come out for the fight uh, the, to the Rocky music, uh, which mm. I don't know if you would recognize that as the Rocky music here, which oh. they then play in the fight later on. Also, like the, the big celebration with Jerry Lawler coming out, and then you just have Paul Giamatti holding one sparkler <laughs> as Andy Kaufman walks yeah. in. And even his wrestling getup, he's got like long johns and like a white long sleeve shirt on with a pair of shorts over top of it. This is like Jeff Daniels' shorts over top <laughs> that is never explained from Dumb and Dumber. Uh, lots of connections here. Uh, so in the fight... Uh, Jerry Lawler ends up beating him up and he gets taken away in a neck brace. Uh, we get the, the next scene after this where 
Uh, Lauren Michaels is meeting with uh, uh, real George Shapiro, which this is where there's some creative liberties because Lauren Michaels was actually off Saturday Night Live at this point. Like he left two years earlier, uh, but they're trying to get him rebooked on Saturday Night Live. And the Lauren Michaels in the movie is saying, you know, oh, I don't think that Andy's a good fit for us anymore. So please just just do us this favor. So then he cuts to um, the next week where he says, we here think that uh, Andy Kaufman might be a comic genius, but there's other people who disagree. So we're going to leave it up to you to vote. Call this 1-900 number and let us know if you want Andy Kaufman the show. Now, this is something I actually saw. It would have been before the movie came out because I remember having not seen the movie, but seeing Saturday Night Live in reruns and being like, oh, that's that new Jim Carrey movie when, when I saw an old episode of Saturday Night Live where they put this 1-900 number up there. Uh, it was actually like an NBC executive uh, who was doing this on-air thing at the time. Uh, which the real story was that this was scripted. So in the movie here, they make it that this is just what Lauren Michaels did. But in reality, Andy Kaufman was on very good terms with this NBC executive, and they thought it would be a great publicity stunt to give a 1-900 number to... Because the way it backfired, though, was that Andy Kaufman himself assumed the audience is going to vote to keep me on Saturday Night Live. And even when you watch the Saturday Night Live clip where they deliver this 1-900 number, you have people who are kind of laughing, like, oh, I love this style of humor, right? Uh, but it backfired, and in reality, he got, like, what do they say? is like 28% of the vote. Because, yeah, when, when George reveals this to him, it's like, it was only 28%. He's like, I only got 28%. So that was the real story, is that Andy Kaufman staged even this 1-900 thing on Saturday Night Live because they assumed that they would get him back on there. And it would be a funny stunt. And then it backfired because the audience literally had turned on Andy Kaufman at this point. So even Andy Kaufman was like caught off guard by this. Uh, now, here's where the wrestling reveal comes in. Uh, so George is basically just shown on camera. You don't see Jim Carrey or anybody else. And he says, uh, you know, guys, I think that this has gone a little too far. And then you cut to a shot of Jim Carrey or Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler. Jerry Lawler saying, I'm sorry. We just thought that it would be funny. Well, that's after the uh, David Letterman bit, isn't it? Oh, yeah, sorry. So we have the David Letterman bit in the middle there, too, where where he's on. And this is probably one of those famous clips of Andy Kaufman where I've he's on David Letterman. I've seen this one before, yeah. Yeah. That, like, David Letterman, you know, the, the height of his original late night show on NBC. And Jerry Lawler's on there saying, you know, you need to apologize to him or whatever. Is this oh. my supper? Throw it at um, him. Hey, you throw it, it at anyways. him. Anyways, don't throw it. Oh, that looks nice. It's What's chicken that? Alfredo. Um, yeah. I'll be eating this in about a minute and a half because I'll let Brent Ben talk. But Which can uh, I just say, I just want to add did the um that's not you finish and I'll I'll say the bit after you then yeah. if you want to. Yeah. Well, well, so yeah, the, the David Letterman slap is Andy Kaufman and him are going back and forth because this is now national media that like Andy Kaufman actor got injured, uh, and then they stage this fight where Jerry Lawler literally slaps him. Uh, which I guess the trivia is Jerry Lawler has said that he actually slapped Jim Carrey oh, harder than he that's ever what slapped I, That's Andy what I was going to say. In the Jim and Andy documentary, yeah. you get Jim Carrey telling the story that like they had like stunt coordinators and everything. This is how it's going to happen. And he leans into Jerry Lawler because like at that point, Jerry Lawler was like just not yeah. talking to Jim Carrey. And then basically he leaned in in between the takes and said to him like, slap me. He's like, you slap me as yeah. hard as you want to. And then you see the behind the scenes footage of him <laughs> do it. <laughs> Yeah, because it uh, the, the one in the movie is like that is a real hard hit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now this is where uh, I I think if, if, I think I believe that they probably did have a real rivalry because uh, Jerry Lawler himself I think took on a lot of Andy Kaufman maybe because him and Andy Kaufman were friends. What's really clever about this is that this was still in the media that like when they're filming this movie everybody in the world still assumed that Jerry Lawler had a real feud with Andy Kaufman. They had never made it public that they had staged this incident. 
on the David Letterman show or any of the wrestling stuff. So it was in the movie when they had the clip. I'm sorry, I would thought this was funny where people actually laughed in the theater because they're like, wait a second, because they realized that is Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler's real life revelation to the audience. This mm. was a joke 20 years ago, which nobody knew. So that was the first time that even Jerry Lawler kind of made public that this was a stage incident. But uh, Jerry Lawler obviously has a lot of Andy Kaufman in him, probably from being friends with him and doing this back in the day, because Jerry Lawler himself is kind of known to be a guy who maybe takes a little bit too far in matches. Like there are people who have told stories like Jerry Lawler would literally kick them in the balls as hard as he could in the middle of a match. Uh, the, the, probably the most maybe icky story is that uh, th there was a match Jerry Lawler had against a guy who had real life. It was a, a wrestler named Jake the Snake. I don't know oh, if yeah, you ever yeah, remember yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Snake. Who had real life drug and alcohol problems and was sober at this point, but they had made that part of his character where he was like a reformed alcoholic. Jerry Lawler's in a feud with him where in storyline, Jerry Lawler pours a bottle of something all over Jake the Snake in the middle of a match. And Jake the Snake himself has told years since saying, Jerry Lawler actually poured real liquor all over him when he was a recovering alcoholic, uh, which he says he won't speak to him to this day because of that. But that's kind of the reputation Jerry Lawler has where he's this guy like Andy Kaufman that will go too far. So I can actually kind of see that like Jerry Lawler says, I'll do this movie with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey is trying to be the real life Andy Kaufman. He's like, I got to get a reaction out of this guy that's real because this is the most famous thing that Andy Kaufman, the most famous real feud that he ever did. So maybe Jerry, maybe Jim Carrey decided I'm going to go as far as I can to get this out of him. Jerry Lawler in real life is already going as far as he can to be as real with Jim Carrey as he can. And these guys probably just not on the same page, just totally butted heads because Jerry Lawler and, and Jim Carrey sound like they were doing the exact same thing to each other the, the course of this movie. But uh, I, I just I remember that great reveal in the theater and just people just cracking up because everybody sort of knew, even if you weren't a person who knew the real life history between Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey, even if you didn't know wrestling, this was all over the media that like this was a real feud. And for them to reveal in the movie itself that this was fake was just hilarious. I, um, yeah, I, I think it's one of these ones where they, like I watched like Watch Mojo top 10 and it's like top 10 moments in David Letterman's show and all this sort of stuff. And I've, I'd seen this clip plenty of times. I'd always show him like something. But um, I just, gotta say like, I mean, I love David Letterman. He's an absolute hero of mine. And I, I love the the fact that he's playing himself and that Paul Schaefer's there and that, yeah, like they apparently David Letterman refused to wear like a wig and do makeup to make himself look younger. But I just love David Letterman just basically playing himself. And like, you know, this is obviously something that he was in on like all those years ago. And it's basically, it's pretty accurate if you rewatch the other one, like the original and one. And then that's probably why Joaquin Phoenix decided to go to David Letterman mm. for his own version of this. Also, I, I just forgot that. I don't want to forget the line where it was just seems so natural. It probably seems like it was when they were filming when yeah, Andy Kaufman was being bleeped over and over and over again. He goes, I don't know if I can say those words, but I'm very upset. He goes, you can say some of those words. But you it can't just seems throw so coffee. <laughs> yeah, you can't throw coffee. Yeah. Which I, I watched um, I watched a bit of the Joaquin Phoenix one. That apparently was not like stage. Apparently David Letterman had no clue that Joaquin Phoenix was going to do that. And just one of his best ever lines when he's just like, well, Joaquin, thanks for not showing up today. Um, but like... I mean, it's funny, like the, the most infamous David Letterman ones where it's like, I mean, the Courtney Love one where she flashed. I mean, that was basically the Drew Barrymore one was like more famous for that one. But uh, the most who's the most famous one that always gets talked about on his show, Colin? Madonna. Why is that, Colin? Because of who she is. But like, you know, yeah. I love it. Like you've got all these retrospective ones now going like, oh, David Letterman was creepy because he like sucked on Jennifer Anderson's hair 
And the one that like came up recently was he like treated Lindsay Lohan so bad she cried. It's like, what's the full interview? Like one of my favorite ones he ever did was a Paris Hilton one. So it's like, oh, so you're back. Cool. So how was jail? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like That's just what I love about it. The way he would just like not give a shit. But like also putting the perspective of the time period where the only way you, there wasn't social media. Mm. So if you got a big celebrity after an incident, like it was expected. I always remember, um, after the Hugh Grant prostitution incident, mm. it was that was like the, the, the show that turned around because Letterman was killing Leno for like years. And Leno was like, oh, well, we should be canceling this guy. And what turned it around was Leno got Hugh Grant. And from that moment where he got Hugh Grant, it never went back in. But I still remember the very first question that Leno asked Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant sits down and then he just says, what were you thinking? Like, that's how he started the interview. People, this was how the, the celebrities knew going in. Yeah, this is they're how not going to be booked. Their agents are yeah. not booking them if they didn't like. They knew that. And look, in but, fact, more than anything, the agents are probably booking them for this purpose. This is how we get control of our own story. And that's like, like I still love late night shows. I don't watch them really anymore. I'll just, I'll be like most people now. You watch the clips on YouTube, and honestly, like I like all of them. I like Kimmel. I like Fallon. I, I like Colbert. Like I, I like them all. But if you've got any, don't say Seth Meyers. I saw him live. I asked him a question. I know you saw him live. <laughs> he answered my question. I spoke to Seth Myers. I don't like Seth Myers. Is like I would of the, I would don't go out of my way to like watch, but like he's 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 fine. Like I don't dislike Seth Myers, um, but he's not one I'm going to go out of my way to watch. But mm. I think that the issue you have nowadays with late night shows is it's all about the social media. It's all about the clips. It's all about the viral, which it it serves the time we live in. But none of them ever ask questions anymore like that's when jimmy fallon got like ripped into with the donald trump one like in all fairness i defend jimmy fallon like well that's just not jimmy fallon's style jimmy fallon's going to get donald trump on and be a certain way even colbert i think like is the one who's the journalist of all of them but even he doesn't really go into it so but this is where like yeah back in the day letterman would be known for this jay leno i've not seen that clip i need to look it up now because again i never really got to watch a lot of jay leno because we he wasn't shown on free to air here but um anyway Love the Letterman clip. Letterman uh, also on Eddie. Uh, if you want to watch, we ever going to rewatch Eddie? Uh, <laughs> does he play David Letterman in that? He does because Eddie's on David. Does he wear a wig? No, he, well, that was just filmed back in the day. So you know, uh, <laughs> Eddie goes on David Letterman because he's the hottest ticket in New York City at the time. Um, but yeah, like I, I sort of looked up a little bit, like of this Friday thing was real, and I'm like, oh, there's Chloe. Um, so Marilyn Ratchka being in a Jim Carrey movie, there's something that I didn't know. Uh, but I love all the like the pomp and like this. when I was a kid, I used to love wrestling. Like again, as a time of recording this, is like a big WWE event right now in Perth. Yeah. Um, which uh, I think they were like, oh, is the Rock going to shock? Because the Rock's been showing up recently to certain mm-hmm. things. Um, and my sister's like maintained love of wrestling. She went to probably about five years ago, they had a big wrestling event at the, our biggest stadium in Australia, the MCG, got like 100,000 people to a wrestling event. And um, it was like one of The Undertaker's last ever ones. The Undertaker's in Sydney mm-hmm. this week doing a speaking tour. I'm seeing Scotty Pippen do a speaking tour on the Tuesday night. If I went the next night, I could go see The Undertaker, which I was tempted because I used to love The Undertaker as a kid. If it was Bret Hart, I'd be there. Bret? Yeah. Great. What a man. What a man. You've met him. You told him. He's a great guy. I have met him, yeah. Uh, I My favourite was Razor Ramon, uh, Scott Hall, who sadly mm. died a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but he was always my favorite as a kid, Razor Ramon. Anyway, uh, Wrestling Oz uh, from the 90s <laughs> coming soon. But, uh, yes, I, I don't have a whole lot to add because, again, I keep jumping in. Oh, the, the the one bit I want to say about the Jimmy and Andy one is I love the, the bit about all that footage that they filmed. So, basically, 
the footage that they released in that Jim and Andy documentary was filmed by the real life Paul Giamatti and like oh, the, Bob Zamuda. Yeah, they basically like it wasn't a an on set thing. Like it was kind of like Jim Carrey's like, oh, this would be funny. Let's do this. But Universal Pictures came out and were like, yeah, no, you can't release this. Uh, and they're like, why? And it's like, because this basically makes you look like an asshole and we can't have people thinking <laughs> yeah. that you're an asshole. Like, you're Jim Carrey. Everybody loves you. So it's like, you release these people are not going to like you. Um, so <laughs> Jim Carrey's like, yep, basically this has been blocked for like 20 years because Universal wanted to protect me from being seen as an asshole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember I, I remember because it was like, even a couple of years, that movie was sitting on the shelf for so long. And it was a pretty big deal when Netflix eventually got it because I remember watching it like right away. But that was sort of the... Even the early reviews of it, a lot of people were saying, "Is like, I don't know if I really like Jim Carrey watching this. Like, a lot of people sort of had the reaction where it's like, uh, this maybe takes method acting too far. I just found it fascinating more than anything. I like, especially for a guy who was not an actor who was brilliant enough to do this. And what comes on the screen, like, I find it very hard to separate Jim Carrey and Andy Kaufman, you know? Um, there's obvious physical differences. You know, like, you look at them, they sound very different, but the cop the, he nails everything about Andy Kaufman so perfectly mm. uh the way he delivers things the speech and all that where it's like I could get why somebody even if he doesn't look exactly like him or sound exactly like him they would feel like they're literally talking to their dead son or dead brother or, you know long lost father or whatever yeah um I'm gonna I'm totally gonna watch that tonight I, I meant to watch it before we recorded this I just didn't have time yeah, but, but there's uh, like but you see like the real yeah Paul Giamatti the real Courtney love they're all there yeah like they're all on set and they all basically Which, they're the only ones in the documentary where you see them basically saying like yeah like it's it's like we're with it's like we're with uh Andy right now whereas all the other actors you can even see like Danny DeVito <laughs> going like like what what's going on here yeah. right now <laughs> Well, we should also mention that like uh, Bob Zamuda, like the real Paul Giamatti, uh, he was the technical advisor on this movie. The other real creative consultant was the real Lynn that Courtney Love plays. Mm. Uh, even though I think her character is like they're combining a couple different characters in there because I don't think that she knew Andy for all the events that was in this movie, but she was the one who was with him when he died. So both of them are creative consultants on this movie. Oh, uh, <laughs> I just ate dinner need, while Ben was talking. We need a creative <laughs> consultant on this podcast to, uh, but, no, screw, that's our humor. Screw you, everyone. <laughs> in, in Jim Carrey month, they expect some type of bodily functions to come out. Exactly. Uh, just be glad that's all it was. Um, out of our so, holes. <laughs> so wrapping the movie up here, uh, after he gets kicked off Saturday Night Live, he gets kicked out of meditation. <laughs> this is uh, this shouldn't be as funny because this is supposed to be the, it's the first time we actually see real sadness with uh, Andy. But where they're saying we don't think that you can come to our retreat or anything anymore. Are they, you know, the, a lot of this business and the media and the wrestling and all that. It's just we don't feel like this this sets the right example. And he says, "But I need this meditation. This is the only thing that keeps me balanced." I love the line. Like, apparently, it's not working. <laughs> um, so. We get like one scene between him and Courtney Love where he get, basically invites her to move in with him. Uh, and on the day she's moving in, he gets a call from Danny DeVito where he says, Andy, I got some really bad news. What? It's like, taxi's been canceled. So what's the bad news? <laughs> uh, like, I, I feel like this is why there probably is something to, you know, maybe the cast not getting along with Andy Coffin because you think in his biopic, they would include something positive about it. You know, they don't want... But literally, there's nothing positive between Andy Kaufman and Taxi. Like, the, even on this, they don't have him saying, it's like, oh, well, it was good for what it was. Or, oh, well, I'll miss at least Carol or something like that, right? <laughs> literally, just in his own biopic that is from the people who knew him best. It's like, so what's the bad news? Like, he's happy that Taxi got canceled. Um, 
So uh, after this, he uh, gets... Uh, <laughs> By the way, he has the first bump that he notices here right after the scene where he's kind of looking on the back of his neck or shoulder and he feels something. Uh, so he goes to uh, do his first comedy appearance and he's being sad, Andy Kaufman. I would love to know if this really happened. After Taxi's canceled, he goes to a club and saying, my wife left me and my show got canceled and I've got a bump here <laughs> and if anybody wants to touch it, maybe you could... I'll, I'll charge you a dollar. <laughs> the lady comes on stage... They're all feeling all well, the husband pushing her up on the stage. Yeah, like, do it, go, go, do go, it, go. Jenny, do it. <laughs> and they say, "Oh wait, you got to pay a dollar first. He, okay, here's the dollar. Uh, so then we get the the reveal of a man in cancer, where he's got just Danny DeVito, Courtney Love, Paul Giamatti all there, and the other lady who's not really ever identified. They're even introduced in the movie. The other meditation mm, lady. Yeah, I guess she was just new member of his entourage that helped him with his meditation or something. Uh, so this is where he reveals that he's got cancer. And uh, the reactions are, uh, oh, this is low even for you. And then Paul Jim, no, no, I, I like this. Uh, so you get cancer and then you get sick and then maybe you die. And it's like, oh, better you die. And then you come back to life and he's even laughing. And, he, and he's like, yeah, that's actually pretty funny, but I'm actually serious. I really have cancer. Uh, the, the fact that nobody believes this, I mean, this is probably one of the reasons why people to this day, there's this, you know, maybe Andy Kaufman didn't actually die, you know? Uh, so he then tries to, he watches an episode of Lassie, uh, when they're saying you should talk to your family. He's even saying, I put them through so much. They, they can't take this. The Lassie episode makes him say, fine, my family can do this. They have the family meeting with the doctor. The doctor reveals, yes, here's the x-rays. He really has cancer. This right here spread from his lung to his arm. Uh, and then he walks out and then the mom and dad are crying. The brother's crying, which the, the, the brother Kelly. there, there's our house accounts, Michael Kelly. Yeah. Love Michael Kelly. Uh, and we've talked about him on Man of Steel and yeah. uh, many other things. Uh, this would have been like long before uh, House of Cards, obviously. Oh. I mean, long before he's yeah. even famous, but uh, you can still recognize the guy, even if he's got the full head of hair here. Um, and then I love the sisters. Like, you guys aren't actually buying this, right? Uh, this is where I think the movie uh, becomes more typical biopic because we just have a bunch of very brief scenes here summing up the end of his life. But you, you kind of have it saved by that one thing and then one thing on the end here, which is this, this thread that they put in the movie of, and people don't actually believe that he's really dying or is he really dying, you know? Because even the sister's like, this is a celebrity hospital. And uh, personally, I didn't find that doctor very convincing. <laughs> I think that guy's a fake doctor. And then you've got Danny DeVito showing up at his house and you got the meditation guy who's doing like one of the treatments on him. Uh, he goes, that guy's an actor. Hmm. Like I've seen him on sets before. He goes, oh, he also does this on the side. So, I mean, they, they, they're, they're very carefully putting these things in here. To, without actually making that, because you don't want to disrespect the dead. I mean, Andy Kaufman probably, pro I want to say probably. Well, they probably kind of, really even at the end of this movie, they even give you a bit of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah which I think that's that's the way Andy Kaufman dying would have wanted to be. If he said, if they ever make a movie about my life, I want you to at least leave a small question that I might actually not be dead. Uh, so he's uh, saying he wants to do something to make people feel good again. So he wants to have Carnegie Hall, which is what he talked about all the way at the beginning of the movie. In reality, this Carnegie Hall thing happened very early in his career. It was like 1979. And so this is what, like three, four years later uh, when he's actually getting sick and dying. But talking about all the stuff he wants to have, Santa Claus and all that. Uh, and the brainstorming session, this, this might be one of the, the best laughs in the movie still. I said, and then Santa Claus didn't come out. And he's like, and uh, uh, he said, hey, Santa, what am I getting for Christmas? He's like, and he says, you're getting cancer. <laughs> and then he's like, no, that might be too far. <laughs> uh, and uh, 
George is like, this is a great idea, but how are you going to pay for this? Like, we don't have the money. He says, don't worry. Tony Clifton will pay for it. And this is the the other setup for the the twist on the end of the movie. He says, even if I have to spend a lifetime, Tony Clifton will pay, pay for this. They cut right to the Carnegie Hall special, which I think this was released on video or televised or something like that, uh, maybe even before he died. But um, uh, I, I don't know if I've ever been able to see clips of this one. But uh, you got his drumming act. He's doing the... <laughs> this is very like... From Dumb and Dumber last week. Uh, then we have the next segment where he's got the the cowgirl from some old movie. Which apparently, uh, if that's, uh, the, 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 the real actress in that, if I, I read the trivia correctly, this is the first time she's acted since like 1929 or something like that. If this it, is it, the same it, woman. it was like her final film role or something like that. Yeah, I read something like the, the oldest person in this movie was like the last one they did. I'm going to assume it's her. She's the oldest one in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but Rachel Ellsworth. There she is. There's Rachel Ellsworth. What's with the nipples? Um, <laughs> Put your nipples away, Rico. <laughs> Pick them up. Uh, <laughs> oh, did you not get that? <laughs> Sorry, I'm watching the Rockets dance, and then I just realized what you said. Colin told a dirty joke about old lady boobs. <laughs> Pick them up. Anyways, she's she's they're making a ride. This little horse, nay, <laughs> the little horsey. Uh, and he's getting crazy conducting the orchestra. The lady drops dead. Now, this is totally an Andy Kaufman thing to do. Uh, Bob comes out. He's like, this is not a joke. We have a doctor here. A guy comes up from the audience. Now, you must know it's a fake, though, when the guy, the doctor is just like, this lady's dead. <laughs> so he really covers her up. Uh, doesn't try CPR or anything. Uh, and I love the footage of little old lady on a horse. <laughs> and the way she collapses, like, oh, that is like the worst fake death I've ever seen, but it's so funny. Well, I've been the funniest uh, thing in this movie. Little old granny on a, on a freaking horse. Because the way they set it up, they got like Andy saying, come on, can you do this? And she's like, I don't know about that. Like she looks sincere. Like, I don't know. Come on, do it, do it, do it. Uh, Andy starts doing his tribal dance here. The lady comes back to life. It is big performance. He stages a fake death and somebody coming back to life. Uh, you get the Mormon Tabernacle Choir coming out. You get... The Rockettes coming out. You get Santa Claus flying in. And then you have them taking the entire crowd out for milk and cookies, uh, which they literally do take them out for milk and cookies afterwards. Again, I don't know how much of this was real, but it sounds like something he would do would be hilarious. Then you get a couple of treatments, him getting the weird crystal treatment thing. Um, him coming in as Tony Clifton uh, to the other lady and Courtney Love in the kitchen. Or it's like, oh, we're going to have a threesome. Have you ever been with another woman? And then you get that lady very awkward. This is also one of like the most underrated funny lines in the movie. She's like, uh, well, like, yeah, in the kitchen, maybe. <laughs> and he's like, all right. That's a column uh, line. Exactly. Uh, then it's just basically a couple of short scenes before he dies here. Um, him talking to George, pitching him on a kid's show. Uh, and I think this is this is similar to what his... I don't know if this is what he went to do before he died, but this Uncle Andy, there's even a part in this movie you see where he's got Uncle Andy's Funhouse mm. or something like that written on a shirt, which is he had that that TV comedy special he did was sort of intended as a backdoor pilot. It was supposed to be uh, later on called, he tried to get the show made, Uncle Andy's Funhouse, which would have been not fully a kid's show, but it would have been like done in the style of like, you know, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse and stuff like that. Uh, he talks about how there's a, so you got to go to the Philippines for a miracle cure. Uh, and this is also one of the most clever things I, I find in the movie where basically you got these doctors who are digging, it looks like digging their hands into people's flesh, got blood everywhere. And then they're pulling out whatever organs or cancer that they're pulling out. Psychic uh, Andy, surgery. It's called 
It's a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing. It's yeah, basically well, is it, it a real thing? <laughs> so it's like it's one of these things where apparently you go to a place and they create the illusion of like yeah. ripping you out. It's like um what's the the thing called like where like doctors give you a placebo effect, right? Like you give yeah. you here's a pill, Colin, that's gonna cure you mm-hmm. of not liking sex. And then <laughs> you think it's working, so you're getting laid a lot, and then they've just given you a tic tac. Yeah. Yeah, this is really just about him being conned here because as they start to do his thing, he sees that they got the piece of meat or whatever they're about to pull out, that they're staging the whole thing. And I I love his reaction here because, again, this what makes this sort of different from other biopics is that he kind of ends up becoming the butt of a joke he would make. You know, th- this scene is sort of Andy Coffin realizing I've been conned here, but he actually gets a kick out of it. You know, mm. he's like, I'm going to die. But this is actually funny. I wish I'd thought of something like that, right? <laughs> fake, pe- fake people into thinking you're curing them. Uh, then it immediately, just, you get that cut straight from him looking all sickly, laughing into him in the the, the casket. And then you get his funeral scene, which I don't know if this uh, is something he actually did where he had his own like song at his own funeral where he's talking to people and he's singing the, the friendly, in this friendly, friendly world. Everybody's singing along. People are literally in tears. Now, apparently when they filmed this, like a lot of the tears were real. Uh, people watching this uh like people because they've crowded so many people who actually were in this one scene were real friends and co-workers like you got the taxi cast members there and everything people who knew andy coffin danny devito you know you see tears like those were real and all that uh after the funeral uh we cut straight to the comedy store this is where the man on the moon starts playing and uh if you actually i don't know if you actually caught it before you get to the final shot but they got one of those big light up things behind it of like the famous comedians that Andy Kaufman is on yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and, and Tony Clifton comes out to perform. Now, one of the cameos in the scene is Jim Carrey's wife or his first wife, I guess the mother of his, Lauren his daughter, Holly. <laughs> not Lauren Holly. That's, but, but yeah, I remember even when this movie came out, uh, that was one of the things that the people would talk about. Jim Carrey even put his first wife in the, the scene. She's one of the waitresses at second the end one. here. Uh, second, what would he, which wife, the, one, oh, the mother of his daughter. So, so, so no, you're right. Melissa Walmer was the first wife, yeah. and Lauren Holly the second wife, and then he was with yeah. Jenny so this McCarthy is his non-famous wife for a long time. Yeah, that was what? How long was he with her? Five years. I mean, okay. see, I, I always ref, I always confuse those because I think it was after we recorded Dumb and Dumber yesterday. I looked up as like Lauren Holly and him were married for like one year, but I always yeah. thought it was the other way around that the Jenny McCarthy thing was only like six months to a year, and Lauren Holly was like five and, years. And then he was, him and Lauren Holly were together for a couple of years prior. to Yeah. That. And then, like, he had that whole thing, that sad thing. He was with that girl who died. And then the yeah. basically the family of this girl tried to claim that he killed her or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, Tony Clifton comes out. Everybody's happy. Everybody's cheering. And then he says, oh, you guys want to see Andy tonight? Anybody got a flashlight and a couple of shovels? <laughs> <laughs> got to end on an appropriate joke. He goes in, I will survive or we will survive if you're fans of Moist. Uh, and uh, gives everybody's loving this performance because now this this is like his legacy or whatever. They end on that shot as the camera's spinning around the room and everything and everybody's singing, and then you just see Paul Giamatti watching it, implying like, oh, maybe it's actually Andy Coffin. He's still alive. Uh, and uh, the it ends on kind of the Andy Coffin light-up light, unless you're watching the full credits where you actually see at one point Andy stick his face back in the camera mm-hmm. frame like he did in the opening again. The hole, someone would say. Um, no, it's... Um... Yeah, like it's, this is where it gets like quite, like not dark, but like it's quite sad. And, you know, again, knowing not the story of Andy Kaufman, I, like I, for some reason, I just assume anybody who dies in Hollywood died of drugs. 
Um, so I just thought he like was a druggie and like died of an overdose or something like that, but clearly not. Cause like, he's got what, like some rare form of lung cancer. Cause they were like, well, you don't even smoke. Um, so yeah, but like, it's all pretty like, like the, the scenes when he's like bald and he's got like the crystals on him and everything along those lines. Like apparently Jim Carrey really like shaved his head and lost weight for all mm-hmm. of this sort of stuff. So um, before Tom Hanks didn't cast away, by the way. Yeah, exactly. And Tom Hanks apparently was in consideration for this role. Did you did you read that? Yeah, well, they, they he was one and of the Nicolas ones they Cage. were looking for. And Nicholas and Nicolas Cage. Cage refused to audition. I could see Nicholas Cage in this role. Like, oh, probably yeah, take it a little bit too far, mate. <laughs> like, I mean, say that about Jim Carrey, but like, I'm Tony Clifton. <laughs> I'm Tony Clifton. Woo! <laughs> I will survive. <laughs> Cow girls move. <laughs> <laughs> Cat calls meow. <laughs> Woo! Um, not the cancer. Not the cancer. Not the cancer. No, the cancer. Not the cancer. Um, we need to do Nicolas Cage, man. We need to just like get the oh. like that one that Jamie just like came down that one time laughing at, yeah. like, oh, this is the funniest thing ever. That's um, right. That's why I proposed like we got to do a Nicolas Cage bad movie month or something for a bad movie month. Well, one thing in the Jim and Andy one when like Jim Carrey is talking about like getting into his role and he sort of he he talks about how like. Every movie he's done, he kind of does it on the character where he can take something from that character at every point in his life. So I'm like, okay, that who's freaking Ace Ventura and all this sort of stuff. But he tells the one about Eternal Sunshines when he's basically like, yes, I was, you know, very depressed. I just had a breakup at that point. And I was very, very sad. And when I sat down with the director, they're like, I can see you're very depressed. Don't change. And it's like, we didn't film the movie for another year. So he basically had somebody, somebody tell me like, remain depressed for a year. He's like, this is how much this, this is how weird Hollywood is, basically. I feel I need to give Eternal Sunshine another chance. I've always disliked that movie. I saw it once. I'm like, this movie's just weird and dumb. And I feel like it's being like, it's kind of like American Psycho. I'm ready to give that another chance. I didn't like it at the time, but I feel like I was too young to oh. appreciate it. Um, American Psycho, like, I, my reaction to um, with, uh, Eternal Sunshine was more, there was so much hype behind that movie. Uh, like we're talking about people saying this is one of the most brilliant movies ever made. And when I watch it, I'm like, well, it's good, but it's not great. But I don't know, maybe just, it ages better to or me, it ages worse. I like to call them Lindsay movies, my sister. Like love my sister, <laughs> but she has like this taste for movies where like she's a Donnie Darko fan and I just don't get that movie. Yeah. I think it's dumb. Um, you know, like, and she loves American Psycho and she loves Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So she likes those type of like movies, which to me are like movies that certain people like. Like, I've never seen Fight Club, but from what I've heard from my dad, Fight Club's one of the dumbest movies I've ever seen. The whole movie, he's just bashing himself up. It's so stupid. Um, so, like, my sister has a type of movie, and I remember she was always be like, Ben, you're, you love Jim Carrey. You've got to watch this movie. This is, like, one of my favorites. <laughs> I love Jim Carrey. I love Kate Winslet. I should love that movie. But I remember watching it going, like, that was stupid. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but anyway, maybe I'll give it another chance. Um, but, yeah, like, all this stuff at the end is, again, this is... Jim Carrey showing how good of an actor he is. I mean, mm. not to take away from his comedy. I mean, the comedic chops still involve a lot. And I feel like Hollywood and the Oscars don't give enough credit to comedic roles when it comes to best pitch and best actor nominations and that sort of stuff. You talk about sort of movies that get looked over. I think sometimes comedies get looked over. You've got to be a certain way. I watched a great movie the other day where a guy was basically going like five categories that the Oscars should have. Uh, obviously, like, best stunt performance is always talked about. Um, but the one yeah. they talked about, which I've never thought about, which I agree with, is best vocal performance, like, for voice actors. Like, that's that's a very good mm-hmm. point. Like, some of the voice acting that you get in movies is worthy of Oscars, and oh. they never get nominated, right? Jamie and I were talking about, uh, of all people, Frank Oz today. And I was saying how, like, 
when Frank Oz did Empire Strikes Back, Lucasfilm, George Lucas and Lucasfilm made a big push to try to get him nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And they said, well, you can't. It's a puppet. Yeah. But it's like, but why isn't there like a puppeteer? You group that puppeteering slash voice acting Oscar. Yeah, I think you should have like there are definitely levels of of what you can get on that. Was there another one that they made that was a a very good point around it? I can't remember, but the the, the guy who did the video, I'm like all five, and it wasn't like you know what was the stupid one they tried to release and then they took away like most successful film Oscar or something like oh, that, yeah. which they brought in at the Golden Globes. Can we just point <laughs> out like, oh, I love your Golden Globes, but stop doing that um anyway but like i love like i <laughs> just watching little old lady on the horse <laughs> i want to give a old granny on the horse um i wonder if he really did do the milk and cookies thing though that, like, that's yeah. like that's really cool but yeah it's it's, it's sad like i kind of like the way they do this like transition from him like being faked out with these people then straight into the um like him dying like that's pretty harrowing and i'd like i can't find anywhere online whether or not this was a real thing that he did for his funeral or not but i mean it's a nice idea and it's kind of like a nice way to sort of go out with it um and then yeah i love like the ending where you've kind of got this like whole you know like fake out of you know is 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 he dead is he not like it's it's clever like that's exactly what you would think and i mean perfect ending with some rem which Mm -hmm. you know colin's getting moist he's got a moist hole at the end of that Oh, um, moist hole. They should have. They should have like become a super band and done like a, a you know a duet. Moist hole. <laughs> well, they were the two headliners of Edgefest '99. Into me by Moist Hole. <laughs> uh, anything else, sir? Uh, no, Hank Azaria was also apparently in the running for yeah, Tony Kaufman which well. I could see him doing a great impression. I don't know if I've ever seen Hank Azaria give the type of performance you would need for some of the more serious stuff in this movie. Yeah, like again, love Hank Azaria, but like he's kind of. When I say one note, not a bad thing, but like he's always just funny, right? Like I remember what's that um underrated superhero movie he's in that I always forget about? Ben Stiller, oh, Mystery, Mystery Men. Man. Great movie. When are we doing Mystery Men? I used to love. We used to watch that in school for some reason. It was like Ben Stiller, <laughs> William H Macy, uh, Hank Azaria. Who's the other guy? And he's quite famous too, isn't he? Um, the the four of them are all quite famous. Great movie. Um, I I can't look. Oh, Jenny right Garofalo. But, uh, oh, that's the other guy in the movie. No, right. the um um the. The other guy, Kel Mitchell, is one I'm thinking of. I don't know who that is actually now that I look at it. But um, <laughs> Jeffrey Rush? Oh, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But Oh, that's right. He was in that. Isn't he the villain? Yeah. Huh. Uh, maybe I'll watch it tonight. We'll cover it next week. Um, so uh, this movie critically actually only did okay. It got mixed reviews, uh, 64% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, the, uh, the, the good reviews were very positive though. Rod Reber, three and a half out of four stars. And this is the guy who of course hated Ace Ventura, uh, said what is the most wonderful about man on the moon, a very good film is that it remains true to Kaufman's stubborn vision. One, it brightens things up a little. Uh, but essentially it stays true to his persona, a guy who would test you, fool you, lie to you, deceive you and stage elaborate deceptions, put ons and hoaxes. Um, it uh, didn't get on for any Oscars. We said, I did look up great beyond was nominated for a Grammy at least. So that's something. And Jim Carrey won the Golden Globe for uh, Best Actor, Musical, or Comedy. It was a musical uh, comedy. I thought he won it for drama two years in a row. But, like, yeah, he yeah. still holds the stupid distinction of being the only actor to be nominated for both categories and never and not even nominated. get an Oscar yeah. nomination. What a, just a joke. Uh, the, uh, well, let's do box office here. Uh, box office, this also didn't do great. Uh, it was the first Jim Carrey movie to not open number one. It also... 
Uh, didn't even open the top five. Well, uh, which since is crazy. he's like breakout, His he did obviously yeah. had other movies, but yeah. Yeah. Now, the competitiveness of this weekend could have been another issue with it, although it is Christmas weekend. And we know that movies at Christmas, usually it doesn't matter. Like there's longevity. Uh, but uh, number one movie that weekend was Any Given Sunday, opened with 13.5 million. Talented Miss Ripley, 12.7 million. Stuart Little was in its second weekend. I'm thinking uh, that, that actually two, did like, good numbers, Stuart Little. <laughs> yeah, it was very big. Uh, the Green Mile in its third weekend. Man on the Moon opened ahead of one other movie that we have covered, Galaxy Quest, yeah. which, uh, and we talked about on Galaxy Quest. I guess this is kind of the difference where you can call Man on the Moon a bomb because Man on the Moon opens $500,000 more than Galaxy Quest, but still only in sixth place. But when we talk about Galaxy Quest, like Galaxy Quest opened and it looked like it was a bomb and then it ended up making like almost $100 million. Four, 400 more cinemas too, Galaxy Quest. That's a good weekend though because like look, Bicentennial yeah. Man, underrated movie. I always like Bicentennial Man. Juice Bigelow, Male Gigolo. The World's Not Enough was in week number six. Uh, American Beauty Cinemas, uh, The Bone Collector, I remember that. I mean, I hate The Sixth Sense, but it was yeah. still open. But like, yeah. Oh, Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. <laughs> I used to love that movie. Girl Interrupted, great movie. Um, yeah. Do you like Girl Interrupted? No, probably not because you don't like Angelina Jolie, right? My No, my mom loved that movie. And it was one of these things where you have you have your sister movies. Mm. I have like my mom movies. That was one of my mom movies where I'm like, ah, oh, I don't get it at all. I remember like uh, being a bit of a mum movie, but I remember watching it going like, that's pretty good. Uh, but I mean, in the end, the movie, it doesn't exactly meet what Galaxy Quest did in the long run. It only makes $47 million and that's worldwide on a $82 million budget. Uh, so... Not uh, not too good. Um, we're going to look at one-star reviews here because this has uh, developed a good reputation over the years. Uh, we have... Why? Um, for, all the for all the attention got, Andy Kaufman didn't leave much of a comic legacy, mostly just his part in Taxi, where his locker character could be amusing in small doses. Uh, so why make a movie about a secondary sitcom actor? Unfortunately, you'll be asking that question when the movie is over. Uh, completely disagree with that um, because <laughs> this barely is about Taxi. Uh, what an unpleasant way to spend an evening. There's always exclamation marks T with Tinder these Tinder review from Ben Waterworth Page. <laughs> <laughs> about the only positive thing I can say about Ben Waterworth would have loved this. Um, <laughs> apparently he enjoyed producing a negative effect in the audience far more than he cared about entertaining them. Well, those at least their review kind of makes sense. Uh, joke that wears thin, waste of time, utter crap. we got to yell it. You've got a Canadian uh, one here. <laughs> eh? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Absolute rubbish. No sense whatsoever. Jumpy storyline, thin plot, considering this was based on a real life. You literally just described every biopic that's ever been invented. Jumpy storyline, thin plot, considering it was based on real life. That is what biopics are. Um, anyways, uh, I think those people are wrong. Uh, and plot keywords next. Female uh, nudity month. Female nudity is, month. Female nudity month. Sagging nipples. True uh, detective. Poor things. Halo and anyone but you in female nudity month. Sorry, got distracted. Uh, you should watch True Detective. It's a good show. Um, uh, isn't Jodie Foster in the newest season? Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet, but like I've heard mixed things. I've heard Breasts like this month. I've always I've saw that one. I've always heard though that like doesn't it get bad after the first season? Um, sort of. I, the first season is easily the best. The second one, it's hit and miss. I think the second half of the second season is really good. The third one's like it, it's it's not as memorable as the first, but the third one, the third one's got Mahershala Ali in it, so hmm. it's it's good for something. Um, but yeah, it's mostly the second season that kind of kills it. The rest of them are not terrible. Maybe, I have yet to see the one. Maybe we need to do joke month or telling a joke month so we could become funny. Um, don't know. Oh, I, I'm just curious if we... 
do we have anything else on Tony Clifton month? Uh, Man on the Moon, Jim and Andy, Stormy Justice, a 1979 TV movie. Well, Andy Kaufman uh, did do a movie because there was um they were uh, no heartbeats. Yeah, but there was um you played a robot. What's the one they were talking about turning into a movie, but they didn't because of his movie failed. Um, he was going to do a movie, a certain other movie. Um, well, I, I know the movie Heart Beeps because it was one of the early scores that John Williams did uh, where Andy Kaufman played like a robot. But this one, Stormy Justice, uh, the plot is Tony Clifton, one of Andy Kaufman's many alter egos, presides over some totally clueless plaintiffs and defendants in this brilliant, absolutely freaked out take on the people's court. So so this was it was meant to be a pilot for a TV show on Tony Clifton as a judge, which actually would have been really funny and it never got picked up. Um, yeah, the plot uh, keywords aren't that great on this one, are they? Bongo Drum Month? Hobby horse month. Um, <laughs> Hobby oh, horse month might be sexist good. Sexist month. I'm down for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's in sexist month? The color purple, the original. Uh, hidden figures, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Euro. I'm sorry, Barbie. Not in <laughs> sexist month. Like even like, come on. I get yelled a lot in that movie as a man. So surely that should be sexist. <laughs> Mormon Tabernacle Choir Month. <laughs> I got licking month here oh. with. Some movie called Dogtooth, uh, oh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, Gary Oldman's probably licking somebody in that one. Oh. Secretary Caligula. Showgirls is only number five in, in licking mm. month. Bar of Soap month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 12 Years a Slave, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and Man on the Moon. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't think that's gonna make it in the end because we've already covered one of those movies. Oh, we could substitute a Christmas story, um, but <laughs> <laughs> us doing Bar of Soap Month and Twelve Years of <laughs> Roger Rabbit are somehow tied together. That's yeah. almost too good to pass I, up. I don't know what happened to that one. Like, uh, hi everyone, <laughs> welcome to Bar of Soap Month featuring Academy Award winning Twelve. I guess Who Framed Roger Rabbit won an Oscar, didn't it, for the visual effects? So. Snow, yeah, I mean, Lloyd. 1937 Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Chris Story. <laughs> we could just do American Tale. Uh, we could skip down to Fifty oh. Shades of Black. Uh, <laughs> American Tale may be my favorite animated movie. I was going to um, say, you've talked a lot about that, haven't you? Yeah. Isn't Fake it, mustache. It wasn't, Australia, uh, wasn't the sequel they went to Australia? Uh, no, no, that was well, Rescue was down under. Again, Bible these, goes west. These were like a bunch of like kids' movies that we got given on like VHSs back in the day when you had to like you know get two VHS players next to each other and you know transfer yeah. them across. So I remember one Christmas, my mum like and dad like obviously had some friends and they got it done. So like I got a videotape. It had uh, Thomas the Tank Engine episodes on it. Um, what else did it have on it? It had it had a bunch. Lamb before Lamb before time. Um and Gumby, I think oh. I had Gumby. Maybe it was Gumby. But my sister had like Lady and the Tramp, um, old good dogs go to heaven, and it was either the Rescuers or American Tale because they're different, aren't they? Yeah, they're right, different. Yeah. American Tale. Casper loves uh, American Tale. The the main mouse in it, Fible. He has, Fible. still has in his bed. He, he sleeps with it to this. Yeah, Fible goes west. He still sleeps with it to this day. A giant Fible thing that we bought on eBay for like fifty bucks. Um, but, uh, yeah, Five Goes West is the one he's on the big kickoff right now, but it used to be American Tale. Gumby, I actually, I... Gumby that was freaked like me briefly... out. There was an episode where it gave me nightmares. Sorry. Well, the, the, it was briefly on TV, like, before I went to school, and I just remember, like, loving it and even having a Gumby toy, mm. but it wasn't something that was on TV very long. Like, of course, they were very old episodes at this point. or something in reruns, but uh, what were the other ones? Yeah, Thomas Tank. Into the... So was it... Uh, Land was Before it the... Time. I was obsessed with Land Before Time. 
I um, love that one too. But and like, then like the uh, second com- one ruined it because they turned into a musical. And so the first one's like emotional. You're a kid. You're like, you're crying at this thing because the mother's died, little <laughs> yeah. foot and all that kind of stuff. And the tragic tale of the little girl who played like Sarah and got like killed or whatever. Not Sarah, Ducky or whatever it was. Anyway. Ducky. Uh, w- which era of Thomas was it? Oh, like like Ringo Starr era. Like, Ringo, like, okay. I'm not that young. Like, no, at least it's proper, <laughs> proper Thomas with like, claymation or whatever not claymation like uh like, stop motion or whatever thank you stop Models. motion yeah. yeah and then the other one actually which good movie i remember and i think mel gibson did the voice of the dog didn't he all good dogs go to heaven yeah like, yeah i remember seeing that one under- a kid. again like out, like kids these days colin don't appreciate <laughs> that we had some pretty dark shit to deal with as kids like we've got a movie well, about you know a de- dead dog going to heaven you got a freaking <laughs> little dinosaur whose mother gets like killed and then they're getting chased by t-rexes like, we were fucking traumatized as children. Just to sell that even more, uh, All Dogs Go to Heaven, the, the first time I saw that movie was because after my dad died, and, and how he died was pretty traumatic, so my Doc. mom basically had, my mom had, like, like family group therapy thing, like, how is everybody feeling? You know, is anybody experiencing any trauma and stuff like that? Uh, and the, the therapist basically said, I want you guys all to sit down here in this room and watch All Dogs Go to Heaven. It was basically to deal with her father's death. Wow. They're going to show us All Dogs Go to Heaven. So that was the type of movies we had. Yeah. It's, um, which, it's like the more I think about it, we had some fucked up movies as kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, this movie I'm buying. Um, I was kind of on the fence before watching this. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that the mask was going to be the bottom for me still, uh, even though I still love the mask. But Ace Ventura is just so good still. But, like, I'm going to put this at number two in the end. Uh, I love this movie. It is so good. Yes, it's just your typical biopic, but, like, the style of comedy is just hilarious. And it's the type of movie that just makes me want to watch more and more Andy Kaufman. So as much as I love Ace Ventura, as much as I know that movie forward and back and probably watched it more than Man on the Moon... Dumb and Dumber is going to be my number one, Man on the Moon 2, then Ace Ventura, then The Mask. It wasn't Mel Gibson. It was Burt Reynolds. Um, I thought Mel that Gibson was... did something in an animated movie. I thought Mel Gibson was in all dogs. He did dogs Pocahontas. Film. I know he did Pocahontas. Yeah, but I swear he was the dog in all. Why do I think that was Mel Gibson? <laughs> What's that, the Mandela effect? I've grown up my whole life thinking that was Mel Gibson. <laughs> Just like I thought it was Liv Tyler in The Matrix. Was that a Trent <laughs> Queen thing? Uh, <laughs> Trent Queen told you that's Mel Gibson. He did Chicken Run. That might be it. Ah, Chicken Run. Which I saw the trailer for the sequel. That looks so bad. Um, I don't want no, to touch the sequel to Chicken Run. I love Chicken Run, but the sequel doesn't yeah. exist in my eyes. Um, yeah, it's a buy from me. Uh, I enjoyed this. I'm, I'm glad. Like again, I went into this one skeptical. The only one I didn't know, never seen. So I was like, oh, like how am I going to be here? But no, I, I enjoyed it. But I will say, uh, it sadly will end up at fourth, just because my love for the other three just has to trump this. Um, I mean. I'd watch this again, but I'm not going to rush out and watch this anytime soon. Like, if you say to me, Ben, watch a Jim Carrey movie, I've got the three above that I'm ranking it mm-hmm. with. So, by me, it's it's easy bottom, but it's still a great movie. So... I I, I figured... Because, like, this whole month is sort of nostalgia, too, and you haven't yeah. not seen it. I figured, well, it's not going to have the same nostalgia. But even for me, like I said, like, if I were to rank this in 1999, I would have put Man on the Moon at the bottom. And I would have loved it, but I would have put it at the bottom, you know? Uh, it's something that definitely does grow anymore. But I can't wait to watch Jim and Andy again tonight because it's last time I saw that was like when it came out, like what, six, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, but that brings us to next month, which um, now date you're hearing this. Have we started Oscar month or is it starting Oscar tomorrow? month starts tomorrow. <laughs> so we're going to get to hear about a very different biopic. Um, 
that I I'm just gonna say it right now. Just, just I hate it. Movie. I hate it's it. It's got it. a I big nose in it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. Uh, so we'll tease that. But we also are going to be getting into the Ghostbusters movie, uh, which we're gonna be continuing to do this. Mo- we're gonna watch the new Ghostbusters movie probably before we actually cover Afterlife because we're gonna be doing Ghostbusters one two. The female Ghostbusters and then Ghostbusters Afterlife. But uh, I'll say the, the original Ghostbusters, it made my top 20. So we're getting back onto my list of uh, favorite films all of all time. you? I, after we covered, what, three out of bands? <laughs> we got to do one for Colin. Uh, Ghostbusters 2 is a movie that like, it wouldn't have made my top 50, but I still love I think that's such an underrated sequel. Uh, the female Ghostbusters, I saw it once, didn't care for it at all. Ghostbusters Afterlife, I saw it once, didn't care for it at all. But I will say the Ghostbusters Frozen Empire, the teaser trailer, I'm like, well, this looks interesting. But again, my mm. worry is, is it really a Ghostbusters movie? I saw the new trailer. I think, um, I don't remember what one of the movies, Jamie and I, maybe before Madam Web, I saw the brand new trailer and I'm like, wow, this not only looks amazing, but it looks like a Ghostbusters movie again. So I'm getting very excited for Ghostbusters all of a well, sudden. The, the, the trailer for the new one, like the teaser, like I'm watching this kind of like, oh, like it's a, it's a disaster movie. Like New York's getting yeah. taken over by a friend. I'm like, oh, it's a Ghostbusters movie. Like, I, 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 I don't dislike Ghostbusters, but it's it's literally like I I saw it like I think it was after probably Back to the Future when I've told the story about how like it was some movie. Somehow I never got to see it, but I was like, oh, wow. So then all of a sudden it's like, oh, cult classics from the 80s that I should love, like this pop culture thing. So I'm like, oh, Ghostbusters, Dad, I've got to see Ghostbusters. I'm, I'm obviously going to love it just as much as I love Back to the Future. I remember seeing the first one going... Okay, that was that was a movie, sure. And then I remember seeing the second one. I, I remember liking the second one more than I liked the first one. Um, and then I think I said that to somebody and they went off at me, probably Trent Queen. Um, <laughs> so, like, I've, I've literally only ever seen the Ghostbusters, the first two movies, once. And I don't know how that is a thing when we're, like, pop culture, you know, whatever. Because, like, like, Cable, good friend of the show, mm-hmm. he, like, is obsessed with Ghostbusters. Like, that's... He's, like, cosplay obsessed with He's, like, he gets invited to Ghostbusters premieres to cosplay. Yeah. Like, that's his movie. That and Scream. That's like his movies. So like, I always kind of feel bad when I see how obsessed he is. I'm like, I should like these movies. Like these are like movies that I should like, but I just never got into them. I just can't explain why. I just didn't. You might next week. Maybe. But then like I saw the first, I think like 40 minutes of the women's one when Casey was staying here. She was like, oh, let's watch it. It's not that bad. So like I was watching the first like 40 minutes of it. I'm going like, yeah, okay. <laughs> like I love Kristen Vig. I love the other cast members in it. Um, so Melissa McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy the, and the other two women who are like Saturday, like I didn't know who they were, mm-hmm. but then like, I've seen a bunch of Saturday night live clips where they're in it. I'm like, Oh, they're funny. I like them. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I thought it was fine from what I've seen of it, but like, I can't comment and I've never seen afterlife. I was Paul Rudd. Hi, I'm Paul Rudd. Um, so I have no expectations going into this month at all. Uh, it's kind of like when we do Planet of the Apes month. I have no history with Planet of the Apes, except I saw the Mark Wahlberg one, which we're doing, which I can't wait. Um, <laughs> Stella Warren. We get to talk about a Stella Warren. <laughs> Come on, Colin. Get excited. Michael Jackson. <laughs> Is Michael Jackson? What? Um, oh, right. Okay. I get the reference. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan. Um, anyway. And Mark, Charlton Heston. And as Mark an Wahlberg. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I, I always like going into these these months where like maybe I have no history. Because we did this recently, didn't we, with movies where I kind of had similar feelings to, wasn't it? Um, what did we do recently I where I was like, oh, I've never, like I watched it once and never got it. Um, hmm. Well, I know we Man did. Man on the Moon. No, I, I mean, I know we did Gremlins and I was like, oh, this is like one of those 80s movies where I'm just like... Oh, eh. maybe it was that, yeah. No, but I'd never seen it before. There was another... We did do another one at one point where I'm like, yeah, I've seen it. I never got the big deal with it. Anyway, point is, um, sure, Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call us? 
Um, Which I'm ones do you want to host? Ghostbusters. Uh, I was actually going to say, if you want to host the first one, because uh, in the you issue want me to do the women's one. <laughs> well, no, well, actually, you know what? That one, I, I wouldn't mind doing that. But if I have to host it, sometimes we have opposite opinions. Sometimes like I love this movie, so I have to host it. Sometimes like if I host this episode, we're going to go for nine hours. So yeah. I, I, I would rather you host the first one so we don't have to go for nine hours. But I don't, that makes Are me Are you saying I'm a better host, Colin, because I can keep it tighter? That's what you're That's, saying. Well, on a movie that you're not in love with, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, then I'll take two and I'll take Afterlife. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have just as many. For anybody who's thinking that it's because uh, this is, of course, the only reason anybody can hate the all-female Ghostbusters movie. Uh, I'm going to say, Ben, you just didn't get to where every single plot hole under the sun comes in, which is the real issue with that movie. But I might dislike Ghostbusters Afterlife, the one that brings everybody back just as much as the all-female one. So huh. uh, I'm going to get more critical as we go along, which is why I'm glad the movie's probably going to be released a little bit earlier. Uh, and then 24 episodes as well, where we're going to get to talk about um, somebody who was on Fridays and somebody who showed us their slightly covered nipples. Oh, she's long gone. We don't talk about her anymore. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about her if she's dead. It doesn't matter. Or yeah. is she dead? We don't know. Well, uh, maybe she pulled in Andy Kaufman. Maybe. Um, Anyways, my name is Colin, and after boasting this way of my tolerance, I come to the admission that it was a lit. Conduct may be founded on the hard rock or the wet marshes, but after a certain point, I don't care what it's founded on. When I came back from the East last autumn, I felt I had wanted the world to be in uniform and it's sort of moral attention forever. Is that from The Great Gatsby? What part of the movie is that? Yes, The oh, Great okay, Gatsby. <laughs> I don't remember that. <laughs> Uh, and my name is Ben and I'm not a comedian. I'm not even funny. Thanks for downloading this episode of the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as finding out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at theoznetwork.net. Thanks again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time. like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah! If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon! <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. <laughs>